This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your relationship coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Happy post-New Hampshire primary. It was huge. That was quite a race last night. I don't know if you heard Bernie Sanders. Man, he had 60% of the vote in New Hampshire. And it looked like Hillary, you know. Didn't. Didn't. A strong 38.4%, though. Solid performance. O'Malley still brought in 0.2%, obviously, relatives. Do you think those are people that didn't know that he was out? Yeah, I think they thought that they met him, you know, last week. Hmm. You, you'll see Jimmy that. O'Malley. People drop out and they still vote. He's out. He's not part of this anymore. Right. So It's sad. But they do it anyways. But, you know, one of the things uh, that uh, that it seems like, and I will talk to our, our great expert, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, in just a few minutes about this. But uh, Hillary's in trouble a little bit. She's having a hard time getting certain groups to get interested. I don't know if she's in trouble. Well, you lose by that much. Seems like you're in trouble. That was a state that she they, – they had said from the beginning that she wasn't going to perform well in. Well, OK. But there's other states that she has – Well, I know but that's – there's been two states now yeah. that Bernard – Both of which she wasn't supposed to perform well in. Well, well when's she going to perform – Coming up here when she goes to the South, goes yeah. to they call it what Super Tuesday, the SEC primary, except, she'll be okay. Except. Except what? She's not polling the women like she thought she would. And she's not polling the youth like she thought she would. She even said in her acceptance speech, we got a lot of work to do here. And there's a point where with her money and her machine, she's she should be doing better. Eventually. I mean, what if she doesn't do as well as she thinks she's going to do in the next two to three states? Then what? Two out of 50. Yeah. Yeah, but still, it's a big deal. The burn. People are feeling the burn, which also tells us something that's really weird because Trump, they're feeling the Trump too. Trump won 35% to Kasich, who came in second at about 16%. I came in like a there is a definite movement against status quo. So if you had to choose right now between, as uh, as Huffington Post calls it, a sexist bigot or a socialist, democratic socialist, who do you choose? Don't vote? I don't know. Green Party. The Green Party? I don't know who you choose. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's why uh, the mayor of um, New York wants to get in the race now. The oh, Bloomberg? Mayor. Bloomberg. Yeah. He sees an opening. Yeah. I, I, he, he's, he's going to disrupt and he's going to cause problems for one of the parties. Cruz came in third with 11.6% of the vote. Bush, 11.1%. Rubio, 10.5%. About a 7.5 point drop for Rubio. Now, third, fourth, and fifth is still in... 
Flux. Flux, because it's uh, last report, 90% of precincts reporting, and they're all within a point of each other. Oh, that would be interesting. So Bush could finish third. He could finish fifth. Rubio, all those guys. You know it's bad when all of a sudden they're talking about how much money, uh, for example, Bush paid for every vote. Mm-hmm. That's what Cruz is saying. Yeah. You know, he spent $30 million to get whatever, and but Cruz only spent 600000 Right. It's... It's ugly. But Cruz and Trump are already fighting in South Carolina. They're mm-hmm. already putting ads up in South Carolina. Uh, by the way, interesting, Carson, 2.3% of the vote. He, he finished behind Fiorina. Reports have him leaving New Hampshire before the sun went down. So the voting wasn't even over. He was out of the state. I'm out of here. I gotta, like, I gotta, I'm gone. Got to go get my clothes again. <laughs> but it's interesting because uh, – Carson um, Carson could drop out. Fiorina could drop out. Christie could drop out. He's going to New Jersey to just think things over. You know, well, I don't know what that means. Is that, I guess, this, you're just going home. I guess. Regroup. Think about things. We always we thought a bunch of them would drop out, but, it you know, nobody dropped out last night. No. So are they going to drop out tonight? We'll they see. could. Huckabee still is he? You know he's out. No, he's out. They're all out. It's slowly happening, folks. But they've got to drop out, otherwise you have a three, four person race. Do you think? Do you? In the end, do you really believe that uh, Trump wants anybody to drop out? I don't think he does. Because the minute they start dropping out, then there's just it. It, it just seems like you're going to get more clarity. Then all of a sudden, you know it's either Trump or Cruz. But who's going to be kind of the establishment candidate? Is it going to be Kasich? Is it going to be Rubio? Is it going to be Bush? Is Bush going to make a push? Bush did. Bush's family, I think, did really well in South Carolina. So when he goes down to South Carolina, holy cow, maybe the Bushes will come back. Anyway, we're going to be talking with our Washington insider, Joe Cannon. He's going to walk us through all of that and find out, you know, what is the inside scoop? Is Hillary Clinton really in trouble? I personally feel like she should be doing better. Her message doesn't seem to resonate. I am liking Bernie Sanders a lot. Not necessarily his politics, but I like him. They just showed video of him playing basketball with his family. I don't think Bernie should play basketball. Did you see that? He looked like a grandpa playing basketball. He's fine. He totally did. I wish he had left his shirt on. (laughs) He did. Just kidding. <laughs> You're just playing around with the kids. I know. That's cute. It really is super cute. And um, But this is getting really strange because if, if, if everyone's trying to just go against the establishment, th- what does that say about Obama? Because everybody's kind of like, nee. burn The burnsters are basically saying Obama didn't go f- too far enough. Mm-hmm. And the GOP are all saying he went way too far. Absolutely. So it's really kind of – it almost seems like an anti-Obama vote either way. But after two terms, that's kind of what happens is whatever hap- – I mean the next president is the anti-whatever was the last eight well, years. Well, not Hillary. Hillary's like four more years. Right, and you just got finished saying that she's struggling on exactly, having that message. Exactly, so. which is why this is a problem. She needs a better message. She'll get one. She'll, She'll regroup. As, as I read yesterday, there's rumors that she's ready just to clean the deck and start over, get a new staff, and retool their message and have a digital presence and all this stuff. Um, who's the guy on MSNBC that got the thrill up his leg thing? 
Oh, Chris, Chris Matthews. Matthews. Yeah. Chris Matthews is saying that he's sure that Bill Clinton is frustrated with Hillary's staff, that they're underwhelming. They're not well, doing their job. He it's said yesterday that enough. he wished he wasn't married to a candidate, then he could say what he wanted to say. <laughs> but at the moment, he has to like curtail his speech because yeah. of who he is. This happened last night. Hit clip eight. On the Democratic side, Bernie Sandal, Sanders, Sandals, I could catch on in the summer months. <laughs> he has yes. bested Hillary Clinton. Trump's particularly closing message and railing against pharmaceutical companies and the like, and Bernie Sandwich's, a Sanders message from the beginning. <laughs> so Bernie Sandwich's, Chris Hayes from MSNBC tweeted out saying that he, when he said that, he people behind the camera were actually handing out sandwiches, and he was kind of hungry. So he, he was hungry and Sanders. saw that sandwiches, Sanders. And then Mika's talking about sandals, which is a guest. Well, that was Kelly. Oh, is that what's her last name? Kelly. Oh, uh, from Fox News. Yeah, the anti-Trump. Yeah, yeah. Kelly. I don't know. Kelly Ripa. We'll get it. <laughs> the other Kelly. Hey, listen to clip one. This is Bernie Sanders, who's now who's has a a, a new way of saying huge. Because of a huge voter turnout, and I say huge. Huge. I love that. It's we great. Won. This is democracy in action. Megan Kelly. Megan Kelly. That was going to bug me the rest of the show. Yes. So we're done. Yeah, Megan Kelly. But he's been saying huge. Forever. But him and Trump kind of say that where they drop the age. By the way, Bernie Sanders, that was the first Jewish candidate's primary win ever. That's amazing. That's cool. History being made. Multicultural. Multiculty. Gotta love it. Huge. Um, and then uh, and then John and John Kasich won. I think that's cool. You know? He he got a state. Good job. He got a state. <laughs> He's not but gonna be able to when you carry that anywhere money, else. But... Well, unless all of a sudden everyone's like, okay, yeah, John's the guy. Whenever, Everybody put your money behind Whenever John. the question came up, where's John Kasich? He was in New Hampshire. He was in Iowa a little bit. Oh, going back to New Hampshire. Yeah. That's where he felt like he was going to make his inroad, and he did. Yeah. But it doesn't really carry to other states. We'll have to see how he can adjust. Um, Rubio did admit, by the way, that the debate killed him. Yeah. In fact, let's listen to that on clip nine. I want you to understand something. Our disappointment tonight is not on you. It's on me. I did not... I did not do well on Saturday night, so listen to this. That will never happen again. Then if you listen to the rest of his speech, it was a lot of the same stuff that he'd been repeating. Barack Obama knows what he's doing. <laughs> and then he got back into it. Uh, it was that, that was a big fall. That was eight points or whatever, man. Because he could have had He could have taken it. Could have said, okay, I that, got the banner. I'm that's, that's the effect of the internet now, where you say something and then instantly people grab onto it. They'll make gifs and videos and memes and all kinds of you know oh, people yeah. outside polling places dressed as robots and just overnight you're ruined because you said something I mean, that, off that really know. was overnight well and then with video it's kind of the nixon moment right when nixon was all sweaty in that debate and it just didn't look right i think back then you could you could be able to right the ship before it really the, yeah, the right. effect hit you yeah. because it wasn't as immediate now right. it's instant instant you're oh. toast <laughs> and spreads and viral. And then people can add stuff to the videos now. Yeah. So it can make it even worse. Anyway, we'll get to that in just a minute. We'll do a full review 
of the New Hampshire primaries with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry. Terry, what's up? So as we know, Donald Trump, big winner, New Hampshire, 35 percent of the Republican vote, followed by John Kasich, 15, Ted Cruz, Jeb Bush, both with 11, with 90 percent reporting. So that could change. I uh, haven't seen any predictions as of yet, but it, it could adjust as the day goes on. As for Carly Fiorina, she didn't even crack 5%, but her team insists Tuesday night that she will press on after the New Hampshire primary. The campaign calendar shows Fiorina in South Carolina over the weekend before spending around a week and a half in Nevada ahead of caucuses there. After disappointing single-digit numbers in the New Hampshire primary, Chris Christie announced Tuesday evening he would not be going to South Carolina on Wednesday, as he had originally planned. He said instead he would return to New Jersey to take a deep breath and think through his presidential bid. Whatever that means. Just needs a breath. Just needs a breath. Uh, The Cruz campaign did not come out saying that Chris Christie had left the campaign. Like they did with okay, Ben good, Carson. Okay, good, So, so they're, they're trying to keep that clean. Keep okay. that above board. Bernie Sanders is the longest serving political independent in Congress, so perhaps it's no surprise that he won the support of independents who voted in the New Hampshire Democratic primary nearly in a nearly 3-to-1 margin. So he, he got the independent vote 3-to-1 yeah. over Hillary, 72% to 27% according to exit polls. But those independents who made up to 40% of voters in the Democratic Party also accounted for Sanders' sizable margin of victory. Among registered Democrats, Sanders and Clinton spent, split the vote, 49% all. Sanders won among female voters at every age bracket except those 65 and older, and trounced Clinton among voters who considered the most important candidate quality as cares about me and is honest and trustworthy. Wow. So she, oh, yeah, that's going to haunt. Clinton won heavily among voters who listed as can win in November and has the right experience as the most important attributes. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. The uh, special counsel representing the Michigan Attorney General's office investigation into the Flint water crisis said that there could be criminal charges in the case. We are here to investigate what what possible crimes there are, anything to the involuntary manslaughter or death that may have happened to some young person or old person because of the poisoning or misconduct of the office. Wow. So people could be facing involuntary manslaughter charges. Because they decided to take water from a different source. Holy cow. That made the pipes leach and Big people deal. got lead poisoning. We take this very seriously. The timeline for the investigation is unclear at this time, but both state and local government officials will come under scrutiny. And Hillary's bringing that up, that very issue up in – she's obviously playing for Michigan. Yes. But brings that up in her – except in her whatever speech. Her after action report. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they will have a debate. The Democrats in Flint, which again yeah. is t- – you know, political uh, taking advantage of the situation. Um, another uh, issue that I think did not make the headlines from what? The, what? the primaries last night. A 600-pound pig came pretty close to a polling station in Fellum, uh, New Hampshire, Tuesday morning. Police were called to the high school just after 9 a.m. for a report of a loose pig. Hold on, hold on. Was this a real pig or was this just Donald Trump calling people names? It was a, a huge pig. A huge! A huge pig. The pig that wandered into the parking lot for voters. One bystander captured the video, which is just, I mean, a 600-pound pig. Yeah, that's just huge. Just a ginormous animal. The officers discovered that the pig came from a local farm. They tracked it down. They tracked down its owner who came to the school, got the pig, and took him home. Oh, uh, Jimmy, can you come get your pig? But people were a little worried. There was a pig at the polling station. <laughs> oh, man. That's, wouldn't you love to see Donald petting a pig? 
just to see how he handles that. Hey, uh, interesting, interesting night. We'll take a break, folks, when we come back. Our Washington insider Joe Cannon is here in studio ready to walk us through his take. What's coming up? Uh, you know, what's what's next? South Carolina, who's going to be in the race? We're going to continue covering the uh, the great the great chaos that comes uh, following the New Hampshire primary. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, uh, honored to have our next guest, Joe Cannon, who's our Washington insider. He's in studio today, which means, you know, he just didn't want to go back east because, you know, everyone's all New Hampshire'd up. Uh, But Joe Cannon is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which you can find at fuelfreedom.org, which is an organization that is trying to uh, improve competition in the – in the oil and gas industry, also is trying to lower the cost of fuel here in the United States. But uh, he's he's got a, a rich history as a chairman of a Republican Party in a state level, was a candidate of the U.S. Senate in 92, and also was an assistant administrator of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency under Ronald Reagan, also an editor of a, of a major Intermountain newspaper, Deseret News. Joe, good to have you here. Hey, it's good to be here, Matt. Our Washington insider. But, you know, what do you think? Wow. Any immediate uh, just gut reaction well, to New Hampshire? You know, I'm sure this is not news to your listeners, but yeah, no, big, uh, enormous win for two guys. Yeah. Both, both Trump and Sanders, clear, absolute winners. Everyone else was a loser. Is okay. that what you feel? Everybody. Yeah, everybody. Everyone else is a loser. Just because now, of the distance of the lead? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, there, there are some losers that are – Definitive losers. I don't know. You know the the uh, famous line in Prince's Bride about well, he's like almost dead. <laughs> but if you're not almost dead, you're not dead. That's right. But some people are dead after this. There's, That's right. There's no path forward for Fiorina for for Carson mm-hmm. for sure. And I don't honestly think for uh, Christie. Christie. So I, I think he as much as said it last night. Yeah. His, well, his he speech, he looked. Yeah. He yeah. looked. Yeah, he he was stunned. And then I'm going to put in the loser, but only almost dead, not totally dead loser, John Kasich. Even though to listen to him, he was the big winner last night. Yeah, but these guys are crowing. You know, the difference between 16 percent and 11 percent. You know, they're all losers, right? Uh, To to quote Donald Trump, I'm sure we'll hear (laughs) over and over and over again. But even Kasich, you're saying a loser because he's. He just doesn't have the money now to go really forward. Money, organization. He was a one-state race, and he he yeah, came in second. Yeah. Came in second by a disaster. I mean, yeah. Yeah. He came in second with 16%. Yeah. That's that's a loss. You right. Know, that's, now, it's his high-water mark. He's and I'm I I like Kasich. Right. I'm not, yeah. Not not negative on him. It's just that listening to his speech, it's like, well, wait a second, where are you going from here? <laughs> you, yeah, you you came in second place. Now so what? You you beat the single digit guys basically. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. You know the eleven. You beat the eleven percenters. I guess uh, uh, Cruz eked out twelve percent. He's crowing about beating Rubio. You know, I mean, Rubio Bush and and and, and um, Cruz are all within a percentage of each other. And they lost. They were all losers. I, 
I don't think those three were definitive losers. They're still only almost dead. Right. Uh, I, I think that they they each have a Bush, pathway Bush, that they can see. Bush is mainly in, I guess, because he still has organization. He still has money. And a lot of good endorsements. A lot of good yeah, endorsements yeah. and fourth place. But he has a great endorsement in South Carolina waiting uh, waiting for him there. He he does. In South Carolina is you know, a lot Bush of the country. It's, a, it's pretty much Bush country. It's helped out a lot. However, uh, Senator uh, – I mean, yeah, Senator Rubio has Tim Scott and uh, – sorry, it's really the uh, – the, the, the governor? The, no, not the governor. The uh, – Trey Gowdy. Oh, yeah? A, yeah. Know, both two very popular politicians – in in the South, so th- that could be something. But I don't know. I'm going on too much. No, but I think that. that's great. <laughs> but like, talk about like um, Chris Christie has a, a, probably the most popular debate performance takedown of a candidate of Rubio, and he draw Rubio drops about eight points in the polls and gets trounced. But it doesn't really benefit Christie at all. Right. Um, I think he heard himself. Even in the debate, watching the debate, I thought, wow, okay, he's hammering. He, oh, he's, yeah. he's hurting Rubio. But he's, I didn't think he was winning for himself, right. and that turned out to be He just the case. looked like a bully. Yeah. It's interesting, though. It's not clear. Rubio's – there are only, in my view, two really – well, three authentic speeches. Well, I, I guess you have to say Trump and Sanders were pretty authentic. Okay? Yeah. Of the, of the losers – I would say Rubio and Clinton gave the most close to authentic, yeah. real speeches. And you know, they both recognized their deficiencies, and, and Rubio in particular, in a very kind of humble way. So I think he, he might have a chance. Bush, on the other hand, had to talk like a winner also. They all talk like they, right. they won. They were losers. Right. I, you know, yeah. I hate to be so dramatic about yeah. this, but Bush spent millions and millions of dollars – Targeting Rubio, by the way, and you know there was less than a percent between those two, and uh, <laughs> and that yeah, could was, even change still. And, and yeah, it was a few few votes out, but but um, yeah, Bush said, well, you know, he talked like a winner. The guy got eleven percent. This is a guy who's basically from New Hampshire. New Hampshire has been really good to him and to his brother, and maybe not quite so good to his father, but still. Uh, you know, entitled to a lot of popularity, entitled to, and, and New Hampshire is a state that he could do it, yeah. do do well in because it's it's not a particularly ideological state, which is why I say Kasich is barely almost dead. He's yeah. almost dead, but close to being not almost, Ugh. because this is the state he had he had the greatest opportunity. Right, right, and, and he was still and twenty it, points behind. Yeah. uh, So what does that tell us about – I mean there is an obvious movement that's – some of it just seems like it could be easily anti-Obama in a way. Like on the Democratic side, the the liberals feel like Obama didn't do enough. On the Republican side, the the GOP feels like he did too much. Yeah. And this the government yeah, the interesting thing about the the uh, Sanders Clinton race is it's all about a third term an Obama third term plus will really do it in this next third term. <laughs> and and so you know no uh, Sanders is forcing Clinton to be to sound more like him to the left and 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 that's, that's only going to hurt her in the general. yeah I mean that's going to hurt and the longer that goes on and it will go on now forever it'll go on till the convention because they are uh, all the next Democrat races uh, um, 
primaries, caucuses, they're all proportional. Hmm. So he's, so he's going to get his share. Get his share. Now, I guess there's a, a scenario that she somewhere crosses the 50% line. Mm-hmm. She does have the super delegates, which are for her. But um, a lot of people are looking for al- alternatives. Yeah. Yeah. What happens if Bloomberg comes in, do you think? So Bloomberg is a very interesting – Because he's licking his chops, he looks he's like. He's licking his chops. He's planning on it. He thought about this in 2000, I think, uh, and, and and hired – he lawyered up looking at how, how to do it and then d- decided not to. But I think he's more serious now because it is completely – I can't even believe I'm saying these words, but it is completely plausible – not saying yet it's probable, but mm-hmm. it is completely plausible that you're going to have a, a you could have a Trump Sanders uh, heading, <laughs> or, or a heading Trump into, debilitated Clinton race too. Yeah, you could uh, if, but if Clinton runs, I, I think there's no case for Bloomberg to run. But okay, in any case, he said he's going to decide by next month. Wow. Um, it, it it turns out you know you have it's you have more time than I thought to get on the ballots to be an independent candidate. Most states are like August. Some states wow. are September and some states are July. But you know you have July, August, and September. The bulk of the states, overwhelming number of the states are in August time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, so wait, yeah, yeah. So you could get so you know you, that's the good news. The Bad news, maybe good news for Bloomberg is in all those states, you have to have about 900,000 signatures, signatures collectively. Oh, wow. It's a lot of signatures. Now, the guy's a 36 billionaire. Yeah, guy. so you just you hire people and hire people start to do it. But you've got to get going. In some states, it's a pretty big percentage. Other yeah. states, not so much. I guess it would be harder to get on. Yeah, like I'm imagining coming to a smaller state like Utah that's conservative, that might be hard to get. That many Utah, Utah is probably a little harder than most because it's a higher percentage. And mm-hmm. I think – I actually didn't check for the independent. But for a statewide race, you have to have a certain percentage in each of the 29 counties in oh, wow. Utah, for example. Would, would, and if Bloomberg is in, I'm assuming that that would hurt the, the Democrats more than the Republicans. I think so, but it just depends on the state. I mean, there are plenty of people. Uh, you know, I was at a dinner last night with some pretty thoughtful people, uh, mostly Republican, but one Democrat. And there were a lot of people around the table thinking Bloomberg might be – this is in Utah. Bloomberg might be kind of an attractive alternative to those two people. Well, yeah, to, yeah interesting. Yeah. I mean, who would have ever thought that that could be a possibility? But Trump pulled 35 percent of a state, 24 percent, I think, of Iowa is how much he's – so, we, you know, we, we were assuming that he could only ever get 25 percent. But yeah, what was different say, about New Hampshire? Well, New Hampshire is designed for a, a guy Oh, yeah, more like, independence too, you know, right? for, a, for a guy like uh, uh, Trump, I mean, we don't know and I haven't seen – I'm sure there will be uh, – um, Further analyses, but a lot of independents, possibly Democrats, uh, who like his message. There's a disaffected core of Democrats who like Trump. That's actually been demonstrated. Yeah, right. So, so you know, New Hampshire was set up for someone someone like Trump. Unlike, say, in Iowa or a lot of states where you have to be a Republican to vote right. in in the primary. But it there no minimizing he. Did an an exceptional job. He he was the big winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sanders was a big winner, but everyone thought he was going to win. 
in each case, they substantially exceeded expectations. It's It was interesting, too. Um, it seems like we're now entering a phase of the race that Donald Trump will like more. It's more of a kind of a retail politic. You just – you know, put your ads up. You don't have to go to all of the New Hampshire meetings or the caucuses in Ohio, right. Iowa. I mean, you, it's it seems like because he didn't do half of what Kasich did to get votes. No, Kasich worked his guts out, and again, it was a state made for Kasich. Also, yeah. yeah. So Kasich did a better job. But a hundred meetings he held. Yeah. He, Trump, I think, held like fifteen or so. Right. No, it's it's a it's a clear repudiation mm. of. Politicians, yeah, on both sides, both, right. both, both sides. I think uh, they're both saying no. We want somebody who is actually radically different. Yeah, I mean, these governors have experience. They they got nothing. You know, I, I, I don't mean to, to right. Mean, no, but the governors were that this was where yeah. they were going to make their yeah. move, and and based on the debate, I thought they would. Well, I, and I the thought, top three oh, didn't. I guess they just barely beat the number one. The top three combined. Barely beat Trump's number. Yeah, that's well. You've sixteen, eleven, eleven. If you add all the four, the four of including including Kasich, you're you're no, you're above fifty. Yeah, you're above fifty. You got eleven, eleven, eleven. That's why you need 11. to thin the herd, yeah. though, huh? Yeah, but see, I, I think the herd got thinned as much as it's going to get thinned at least until Super Tuesday. Yeah, because there's no reason for Rubio to drop out. Right. There's no reason for uh, well, Kasich will stay in, but. He's thin. I mean, it's basically Trump, uh, Cruz, Bush, and Rubio. That, mm. That's the. It's a four 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 person race there. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, and uh, when we come back, I want to talk about what happens when a Chris Christie and maybe a uh, a Ben Carson are out, and it, it seems like they're going to be in his ear. They're going to be in Donald's ear, and it seems like Donald needs their affirmation, their vote. He needs something. Um, Does that change the Donald at all? Does it change how he approaches the rest of the race? Interesting stuff, folks. Stick with us. We're doing the after party from New Hampshire, figuring out uh, what's next uh, in, uh, in the politics, in the world of politics. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show. In studio here with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. Uh, he runs an organization, uh, is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is trying to lower the fuel costs, increase competition on uh, gas and oil in the United States, you know, which is a benefit to all of us. And uh, But Joe's also very well connected in the Republican Party and has, um, you know, he hates to be called the Washington insider. But the rest of us are just ciders, Joe. You are actually an insider. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for being nice, right? You hate that. Um, hey, we're talking about New Hampshire and and just kind of some of the aftermath. It really does look like, though, there is an anti-establishment kind of movement. and, and But the establishment's not even just uh, against the current president or government. It is against – I mean, there's a lot of Republicans that are against the GOP – establishment. This is a very strong conservative movement, right? Because Cruz is doing well and Trump's doing well and Rubio was doing well. 
Right. Yeah, it's a, a little Orwellian to talk about the establishment. I guess yeah, the establishment you hate I guess that now is well, I guess it's just now anybody who's not Trump and not yeah. Cruz. Or the older yeah. pe- the older the people that push through a Romney, a McCain. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah this but uh, just for I hate to sound like I'm older now, but this goes back. I remember in the 60, 1964 yeah. convention. There was Does still it? this uh, Goldwater insurgency against huh. Scranton, against Romney, against Rockefeller. They were all the establishment, and he won. Of course, then he went on to massively lose. But um, this yeah, isn't new. Th- this is, it's not new, but the depth, the intensity of it is new. The, the two, the big winner last night was not, you know, not establishment. It's yeah. like, oh, not, yeah. Yeah. They, they, that's who won. And, and they won big. If Trump was, if he wasn't in the game, who'd be, who'd be dominating? Well, I, I think you'd really be seeing the same threat. I don't think the governors, for some reason, the governors never got traction. They're not resonating. Bush is running, you, 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 Bush is a governor, but he's also a Bush. So it's really hard to, to say, you know, put him in exactly in a category. Right. But I think it would be Bush, Cruz, Rubio. They'd be fighting it out. But then, so and two of those are basically Tea Partiers, right? Exactly right. So this is the Tea Party or Tea Party wing, right? Evangelical. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting battle. Which going into South Carolina, it seems like Ted has a little bit of an advantage because of South because of uh, evangelicals, right? I. I if I mean, Cruz doesn't do well, now we have to redefine what well is because I'm pretty sure that second. Trump is still going to win. Yeah, right. So the question is how how much second is second? And I think that is not so much relative to Trump as it is relative to Bush and Rubio. Interesting. So, so the race really is Bush and Rubio for yeah. third or right. second. And right. whatever happens there may push a Bush out or a Rubio out. Well, Rubio's probably going to make it through the South. Yeah, I think Rubio would stick in at least through Super Tuesday. And then and then Rubio has a pretty good chance to do well in Nevada. Right. He lived uh, in Nevada. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it is interesting. But as we talked about earlier, the collective of everybody who's not named Donald Trump mm-hmm. is pretty big. Yeah. And all of those people – so Carly, Carly Fiorina, I'm sure she's going to drop out. She has one delegate. Right, okay. that delegates like talk go- delegates because that's in the end that this is all going to come down to delegate grabbing, right? So there are two thousand four hundred and seventy-two de- delegates. You got to get one thousand two hundred and thirty-seven to win. Wow! Right now, Trump has drum roll seventeen. Oh boy, Cruz has ten. Huh? Rubio has seven. Kasich has four. I believe that's his high water mark. Bush only has three. Bush like gave a talk like he was a winner. He's just got three delegates, which happens to be the same as Carson. It's interesting. All this noise, all of this work, all of this money, and the the leader has seventeen delegates out of the twelve hundred and thirty seven you need to win. Right. Yeah. So it's a it's a long it's road. It's going to be a long slog, and you've you, if and and. At least three of those guys could stay in. After, mm-hmm. I mean, you've got Bush, Rubio, and Cruz. They could all stay in for quite a long time. And then when you get to the convention, Trump stoutly says, oh, there's, it's not going to be a brokered convention. It's going to, you know, but he's, it's implausible to me that he's going to walk into Cleveland, Ohio with, with, uh, with all the 50% of the delegates. Yeah, with 50% of the delegates. And so. So, so let's say Trump has however many. And then the rest, let's say he has 800 or whatever the number is. Yeah. 
then the rest have to start – then there's a negotiation, right? The, everybody starts negotiating and saying well, – oh, voting. Yeah, it's just voting. I mean now there will be negotiations. They'll, they'll get this to delegation their, will talk to yeah. other delegations. The candidates will go out and work the crowd. But at the end of the day, you have these multiple ballots, ballot, ballot Which hasn't ballot. happened for, for years. a long, 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 long time, long time. I don't – Wow. I don't think it ever happened in, in our lifetimes, but um, – Anyway, hmm. but there have been uh, there have been conventions that have gone to more than a hundred ballots. <laughs> so so it could be. What happens though if the 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 love of the people or the the winner of the majority of the primaries doesn't get the nomination? So what happens if a Trump who fifty percent of the the primaries loved in the GOP? doesn't eventually end up with the with the nomination. It seems like you would lose energy in your election. You could. You could, but if uh that's what you have the delegates for the That's delegates. why a brokered the, convention the, is not the optimal yeah, no, that's, choice. It's, it's a lot better to have somebody go in and have it be like it has More been. More natural. Or, or just a, a crowning, you know, the okay, you're you're coronated, you're the guy. Yeah. But um th- that's there's a a way better than even chance than in each party hmm. it's going to come to that. Now, it won't be brokered, but, you know, it'll be um, – you know, well, one of those is going to get 50 – Clinton or Sanders right. is going to get 50 percent. Do yeah. you sense that this is it, – it seems like um, everyone was always talking about how in the Democratic side that they, they were kind of coronating Clinton. Not a lot of people were running. There wasn't a lot of work to be done. And it seems like in a way that's backfiring where they, they maybe should have allowed more candidates in, created a better game. Yeah, yeah. Although you had Walter uh, – no, Walter. Martin, uh, Martin O'Malley, O'Malley. And he got no traction and he was right. a governor of a, of a, of a solidly blue yeah. state, although that blue state happens to have a Republican governor just now. But it's generally – like What about a Biden? Yeah. Well, I did read one – Or Elizabeth one, Warren. I did read one. I haven't read anything about Elizabeth Warren in the last 24 hours. Yeah. But uh, Biden, someone quoted him as saying he's still not ruling anything out. So, wow. Now, now, getting into the primaries is a lot harder than getting on the national ballot. So it'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man. So what should we be looking for going forward? Well, Trump has to keep winning, and I guess so, we have to see so, if he can keep if he can grow that base. Yeah, he he has to he has to show that he can cut into the not Trump vote, which again is still like two thirds mm-hmm. of the vote in in most states, and and nationally it's he's a, on average about around thirty, um, and he did better than that yeah. in New, New Hampshire. So he's got to keep that up. Somebody has to win between Bush, Rubio, and Cruz. And uh, the more likely person to do that is, in my mind, Cruz. Yeah. He's got strong national organization and a lot of money. Rubio has a really good national organization and not as much money, but a lot of money. Bush has a lot of money, but not a lot of um, yeah. The, something's it, not there. It's it, yeah. He just doesn't have the enthusiasm, the kind of energy. I don't want yeah, to sound, no. I don't sound like Donald right, Trump. Right, you but, sound like Donald. But, but, but yeah, know. he doesn't have the the backing. The 
just the fervor of the the bass that people just aren't into him. Yeah. Does um, I guess when we look at it, then it looks like a, a senator. Ted Cruz though seems like he has a fatal flaw that just where there's there's some there's some just factor about him that people don't trust or it's yeah. people don't like. If Donald Trump weren't in the race, Cruz would be in that position. Maybe not quite as strong uh, as Trump is, but he would be in that sort of poll position mm-hmm. of a core of yeah. voters who really like him that it may be very hard for him to transcend that yeah. that core of voters. So, yeah, you've got two races. You've got Donald I heard needing to yeah. – and everybody fighting around. But I think you're right. Cruz just has a limited ability to connect. It's not just the establishment. There are plenty of hardcore conservatives. Even women, I I don't think, fall for him or go after him like that. It also seems like Cruz does well in contrast to Trump. So it's almost like Cruz's strength is because Trump is in the race too because there's an obvious contrast. Well, at least Cruz is palatable. Uh, Right. And a lot of those Trump voters, if he weren't in the race, would be. Cruz voters, but again, like you were talking, yeah. there's a ceiling. There's something there uh, to that that he. Uh, and then Rubio seemed like the kid, the guy that could, I was going to say the kid, the guy that could make it happen. But then he the looked, debate was a disaster. He for looked him. like it's scary. It's yeah. scary that you could be in that position. Yeah, one one debate. I mean, he had all the momentum, but everyone in New Hampshire was watching that debate. Oh, yeah. and, and he was. I don't know what we don't know is was he mortally wounded? I yeah, mean, you I have to see yeah. what what happens. It's, these guys have amazing to get this far in life. Yeah, you have amazing resilience, and they have they all have resilience. Right, that's one thing they do. Kasich has resilience. You know, you you thought he was going to win New or, uh, South Carolina when you oh, yeah. Speech, oh yeah, I think you know? yeah, I'm pretty sure he's going to uh, take it all. Yeah, and, and <laughs> he's not going to do as well. And uh, you, you know what else, Joe? And help me understand this. You have Cruz and Rubio, two Hispanic Americans – well, Canadian Hispanic American, <laughs> depending on who you talk to – but never gets any play. There's no play on the fact that two of the GOP candidates are Hispanic Americans. Is that because they're from the GOP? Right. Of course, you you know, in many people's minds, you can't be – Hispanic and Republican. You can't be uh, African American right. and Republican. You can't be a woman and a Republican. Right. So for for lots of commentators, they don't see the, the, that ethnicity vaporizes when yeah. you look to the right. Right. It, it does it could, because we also have Ben Carson. You know. Yeah. A, no. Exactly. A neurosurgeon, African American, but yeah. What do you think about um, – because also it almost seems like this is the millennial race as well because um, there's almost a break with traditional institutions. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the, on the Democratic side, Gloria Steinem had a major beat back and Madeleine Albright's comments uh, about women and Hillary Clinton. It's like even, even these younger generations aren't even buying into the old institutional feminists. Well, the only two categories that – Hillary Clinton won in where I'll call it the Albright Steinem category. She did win. <laughs> she dominated people over 65 years old. Institutional and females over 65. Over, over 65 <laughs> and people who yeah. who make $200,000 or more. Right. I would say that Steinem and Albright are probably not very well connected to what's going on yeah. in, in the world today. They're, they they are still living in the past yeah. and baffled, you know, befuddled by 
what what could this possibly be? There's a woman. What else right. do you need to know? What a, and, you she's know, a woman. <laughs> that's right. And, but I have many friends who are women yeah. who uh, are younger than that, who just and, and Democrats. They just don't like Hillary. That's right. And again, yeah. and again, Carly Fiorina in the GOP gets no play for being a female. Well, because you can't be a, a woman politician, <laughs> Republican. You can't, it is you can't amazing. Be they're they're all nullified by I guess their GOP standard. They needed to uh, be- GOP and and their conservatives. Yeah. Conservatives. Well, and Carly, you know, was is a Wall Streeter, money making, laying off people. Yeah, not sure that she would have legs in in, in a race. Oh, right. she's a wonderful yeah speaker off the cuff. She's, she's yeah. Tough. Oh no, she and I yeah. love honestly as taking people on. She has the best background, I think to be because she's always used to having to defend her role as a CEO to her stockholders. Anyway, uh, interesting, Joe. Uh, Anything else? Anything else we want to pay attention to? Well, the Supreme Court just has a very unusual, very surprising uh, move, the court as a whole, in a 5-4 decision. So often those stays, when, when you appeal to the court for a stay, it's to one justice. But Justice Roberts, who happened to be the relevant justice there, said, I'm not going to decide this on my own. I have the whole whole court did it. And so they had a 5-4 little mini opinion that yeah. said uh, staying uh, EPA's power plant plan, which is really the the heart of President Obama's uh, climate strategy. Yeah. And uh, so it's very – So it's it like a big blow. One of the first big blows from the Supreme Court – yeah, and to, to the, the Obama administration. Right, yeah, to, uh, was this? Did that have anything to do with his executive powers? Was that what he was using? Because well, that's well, going to be coming up. Yeah, I mean the the argument. Because I'm kind of a strange guy, I actually read a lot of the briefs yeah, last this is night in your wheelhouse uh, to see what the EPA said, what what the state said, and what other people said. But the argument was that that this regulation is so costly to so many people. Mm. And it would be implemented even during the course of litigation and because of the deadlines involved. And so the people who wanted to stay said, hey, look, we can't have we can't do both. So the court bought that argument. They said, "Okay, we're going to stay this until we get a chance to see whether it's constitutional or or whether it's not necessarily constitutional, whether it's whether it's a, a lawful exercise of power by EPA under the Clean Air Act. Interesting. That is, in fact, we ought to have you come back and talk more about that because that seems like the beginning of many possible decisions by the Supreme Court. Well, the Supreme Court has actually been. Uh, I mean, I don't think this is totally unexpected. It was unexpected for a stay. That that was unusual. That is very. That's very unusual. I have to say that. But there are a series of court decisions that are look at limiting. The power, the power of, of, of the executive of, branch. Uh, well, yeah, of agencies in general, but EPA in particular. Okay. So EPA has won quite a lot of cases up there. Uh, we could yeah. go on ad nauseum about that. But they've won a lot, but they've lost a lot. So this is, I think, the court saying, okay, let's just look at this and and see what see yeah. what happens in the court system. Let's just slow this down a bit. Excellent. Well, Joe, we appreciate you, buddy. That's uh, That's some great inside work. And uh, go have fun on all your insider parties with all your insider information. (laughs) Anyway, Joe Cannon's his name. If you go to fuelfreedom.org. 
www.ferrisfuel.org. You can get more information about his efforts to lower the fuel costs here in the United States, improve um, the markets as well. Uh, just he's a crusader in that way. Uh, also just a wonderful man. We'll take a break, folks. Come back and uh, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information you need to live a longer life, to love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Welcome to the program. We're going to give you the news, but more importantly, we're going to also give you the tools, the information that you need for your family, for your life. To make decisions today, we'll be talking technology with our tech guru, Jay McFarland, and just find out what's coming down, you know? I mean, technology, it's you know, it's constantly changing, but Jay is always on the cutting edge of it, finding out uh, what's really what's really going on and what we need to worry about, what we should be paying attention to. When you think about technology, by the way, we, we talked about this the other day, that in the White House, their Wi-Fi, it's just not very good. Which is crazy to me, right? You know, we can get people on the moon. We can fly a drone into Afghanistan and take out, you know, terrorists. But we really can't get the Wi-Fi to work in the personal residence of the president. So we're going to be talking to Jay a little bit about that. Also, some decisions that are being made by the FCC that might open up a little more competition at your cable box. You know, if you if you have Comcast or if you have some cable uh, system, they all have their little private boxes. Well, the FCC wants to open up those boxes uh, and the design behind the boxes so that there's more competition. So all of a sudden, Apple could actually access uh, and become your box to deliver your Comcast cable. Do you think that's a good idea? It's really interesting because the head of the FCC is saying it will foster competition. But a lot of the cable companies are like, no, 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 no. Don't mess with our box. Anyway, we'll get into that as well. Coming up um, this hour, you know, we also are just still recoiling from last night's election or uh, the primaries in um, in New Hampshire. And, you know, we've. We've kind of, I think, covered it all. I don't know that I want to keep talking about the elections because, honestly, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. I want them all to just go to South Carolina and, uh, you know, let's see what happens in a couple, in about another week or two. Hey, did you hear about uh, this Super Bowl update? There was a driver that was caught speeding to the Super Bowl on the... uh, on the Pennsylvania Turnpike? Is that oh, the Philadelphia Turnpike? A 50-year-old Philadelphia man was arrested on the Pennsylvania Turnpike Sunday evening, preventing him from making the 2,800-mile trip to the Super Bowl in California. He was going 100 miles an hour in a rental car. That's amazing. Many of the rental cars I've had I didn't think could go 100 miles an hour. I went... 
I got a Ford Escort over 100 miles an hour. I was going downhill. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it starts off rattling. Cliff? Were you going off a cliff? No, but it starts, you know, rattling, vibrating. Once you hit 100, it's like you, you pass through the sand, bar- sand barrier and everything's fine. He's he's on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. So, it's possible. Going 100 miles an hour at around 430 on Sunday. Robinson told the police that he was traveling to the Super Bowl, according to a release. The officers, uh, the arresting officer immediately detected a strong odor of marijuana. Apparently a little pre-game celebration hors d'oeuvre, <laughs> which led to the search of the car. He also conducted a criminal record. By the way, I would have checked to see if he actually had a ticket. $5,000 ticket. Come on. You could buy one on site. Yeah, somebody out there scalping a $5,000 ticket right. in their Rolls Royce. How you do it? Hey, you want a ticket to get in here or what? Um, anyway, I mean, you know, I don't buy it. I think he was just high on drugs. Well, call me old fashioned. Again, he's in Pennsylvania trying to get to the Super Bowl on Sunday. <laughs> so, wow, what is that noise? That's weird. Hey, um, interesting little ditty about um, tacos. You know, we, we were talking about the taco diet the other day. Yes. Did you know that you can actually now study tacos? Mm. At Excellent. The, at the University of Kentucky. Interesting. Taco knowledge is power. This is true. <laughs> In a time when tortillas are outselling bread and salsa is outselling ketchup in the United States, the last thing anyone wants to be ignorant about are tacos, especially when you think of Kentucky. In the state of Kentucky, you know they know their tacos. Right. When I think of Kentucky, tacos. The state has one of the fastest growing Latino populations in the country, right? That's interesting. Hmm. They're going to have a new Nashville. What do you mean? I don't know. Okay. Um, they're gonna um, they're gonna have to open up some music center back east somewhere back in the mid back in the south. I guess we're calling it the semester. Uh, this semester at the University of Kentucky, they're offering an undergraduate course called Taco Literacy, Public Advocacy, and Mexican Food in the U.S. South. Is there a book for that? Do you think someone has a textbook out oh, there I'm they sure can gouge that, yeah, the students Paula with? Paula Dean. Okay. <laughs> Paula Dean has her. First ingredient, butter. Seriously. Sorry. But like, really? Is this what we're doing with our educational system? In in England, there's several colleges that uh, courses like this get sponsored by corporate partners. So it'd be the Taco Bell taco course or whatever, you know. Yeah. Kentucky Taco Fried Bell Ch- taco literacy Kentucky course. Fried Chicken has, has a course in a London uh, college so they can have, they can train cooks yeah. To work in the stores, and it's but is that what this is? This, I mean, that's like I a trade. I, that's, I didn't see a corporate sponsorship a here, but it looks more like a an ethnic studies type class where they're trying to teach you some of the culture of through the food. Yeah, well, so the taco literacy, public advocacy, and Mexican food in the U.S. South. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're just trying to alert people to the changing demographics. Maybe that's the way they're getting people into the class. Could be. So everyone thinks it's a class on tacos, but it's really about public advocacy in the U.S. South and the Hispanic population. And tacos. Yeah. It seems like a far reach. Could be. And But probably tasty. But, you know, maybe I, I guess in the end you're sitting there thinking, hey, at least I got a degree. Yeah. What's your degree in? Tacos. Tacos. 
And then we wonder why people like Ben can't get a job. Um, go make your own job. Sell ice cream. I have the headhunters from Taco Bell searching for me. So mm. You need the headhunters from Ben and Jerry's. That's true. That's the next step. They, they'll come after you. Yeah. If we keep talking about your incredible, uh, what do we call it, ice cream cuisine. Yeah. I should probably stop making it in the tub, though. I yeah, think. the tub is weird. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. You're the first guy I've ever heard that used balsamic vinegar in your ice cream. Have you ever tried it? No. You haven't tried it yet? You've never brought it. Oh. I can't try it unless you bring it. Okay, I'll, I'll bring it one of these days. But I would love you to filter it next time. The only odd substance I've ever used with ice cream, Tabasco sauce. Yeah, that's weird. It's good. You got it hot, spicy, hot, and cold, hot, cold at the same time. Hot, cold, hot. Yeah. Cold. And uh, I found the re- there was a recipe. The really? Tabasco company uh, sent out this. I, I mailed away for a cookbook, and they sent back this. It was free. Yeah. This free recipe for Tabasco ice cream. Why? Get your ice cream and put Tabasco on it. That's the recipe. <laughs> The, the weirdest thing I've ever put on um, ice cream was milk. Yeah. And then I found out that's just the making of a shake. Yeah. All you had to do was spin it up and you had a shake. So, mm. Yeah, I didn't do that. No. It's not really weird. No, it really wasn't. Tasted great, though. I imagine. Mm. Hey, anything going on in the headlines around the world we need to be worried about? There is. We've uh, discussed this morning the New Hampshire primaries. The dejected Marco Rubio kept much a different figure than the jubilant Rubio who came in third in Iowa in one week one week ago. He pined that the New Hampshire loss on his performance, he pinned the New Hampshire loss on his performance at the, Rep- the Rep- Republican debate on Saturday where he turned into a robot and started repeating himself ad nauseum. Here's what he told his supporters. I want you to understand something. Our disappointment tonight is not on you. It's on me. I did not, I did not do well on Saturday night. So listen to this: that will never happen again. Yay! That's great. Never he owned again. it. Yay! They all cheered. Like, Yay. thank you. That was horrible. Rubia finished fifth on the night with ten percent of the vote. That is, I don't believe that's final. I think they're still counting up votes as we speak to try to figure out who finished third fourth and fifth so Mm. see what happens senator bernie sanders crushing democratic presidential rival hillary clinton among voters under 30 at least in the first two voting states pbs newshour's daniel bush says millennials aren't connecting with hillary for a more obvious reason than we're and uh, then and we're missing it that reason clinton is yesterday's candidate Many millennials were babies during Bill Clinton's presidency, in middle school during during Hillary's 2008 run, and in high school when she was Secretary of State. Mm. Hillary is like our parents' Bernie, college freshman Madison Egan told PBS. People who are 18 and 20 didn't live through the Clinton era. To them, Hillary is just another public figure, says the Democratic strategist Hank Schnabkoff, a veteran of the Bill Clinton's 1996 campaign. There is a generational shift going on. But don't they understand who the Clintons are? They don't seem to care. But they're huge. Amongst people who are older and who remember yeah. them. Right. They, they've been out of the White House for a while, and then she was a member of a cabinet. Yeah. And older people remember her. That's why there was so much focus. But younger people didn't seem to – okay, she was Secretary yeah. of State. Great. Next. But Donald, hello. He was he, on TV. He's on TV. Yeah. He fires people. That's what we need. We've seen that on TV. Jeb Bush in a fight for third place in New Hampshire. Uh, that continues, but told supporters he's optimistic as he makes his way to South Carolina. This campaign not, is not dead. 
He told about 250 people at a Manchester community college. He thanks his uh, volunteers, many of whom came from Florida, and said the pundits had it all figured out last Monday night when the Iowa caucuses were complete. They said the race was now a three-person race between two freshman senators and a reality TV star. And while the reality TV star is doing well, it looks like you all have reset the race. So apparently hmm. Bush is trying to spin it positive for himself. It seems like any time you have to state that your campaign is not dead. Yes. It might be dead. You're probably dying. Something dead on arrival. President Obama unveiled his eighth and final budget plan on Tuesday, the $4.1 trillion budget proposal for fiscal 2017, which starts October 1st. First, just months before Obama leaves office, focuses on progressive issues including clean energy, education, and Medicaid, uh, and requests $19 billion for a new cybersecurity initiative. The proposal seeks to raise an additional $2.6 trillion in taxes over the next 10 years by hiking taxes on big banks and the wealthy. Revenue is projected to increase by $308 billion in the next fiscal year, and spending is estimated to increase by $196 billion even before the plan was sent to Congress Tuesday. Republicans vowed to reject it. Wow. So all week long, there's been $18 billion for this cause, $18 you know, $1.8 billion yeah. for the, all the like, – there's been five or six stories about these initiatives that President Obama wants to get done. And I'm like, these aren't going to pass because they're just going to say no because he's leaving. Right, right, right. So It just seems like, yeah, I'm on my way out. Just one more time, let's do this. Yeah, let's go through this and dance. And I'd like all the money I need. <laughs> and get told no. Over the weekend, this story actually had me kind of disappointed. What? Over the weekend, there was a story out of India claiming that a man was killed by a meteorite. Yeah, I heard that. Right? He's supposed, if, if true, he's the first reported case where a meteorite killed a human being. And, and you're disappointed. Why? That may not be the case. Whatever it was that killed the bus driver in India on Saturday probably didn't travel through untold millions of miles of space to get here, according to NASA scientists. NASA. NASA. The 11-gram rock covered, recovered from a college campus in India is still being analyzed, but NASA scientists say that from the photos alone, the incident that killed one person and injured three others appears to have been a land-based explosion instead of the first recorded death from a meteorite. Oh, blasted. <laughs> so the evidence shows that there's like an explosion out from the area instead <sighs> of an explosion in to the Just area. Just when we thought meteorites were going to kill people. I had my hopes up. It I was, mean, you know, poor guy. Sorry yeah. those people got hurt, but come on. But I guess he, he would have died either way. He, Imploding or exploding. He either had, he just had bad luck that day. Yeah. He either walked into something or something hit him. Well, but I mean, it is, it's good to know if he walked into something, everyone on the ground needs to know what that was. Yes. Because then there's explosives in the area around a college. Yeah. yeah. But if it was a meteorite, could you imagine if they put like a GoPro on that and you see it swinging around some outer planet and then zipping right into the Earth atmosphere and zeroing in and then boom, hits one person? Yeah, that's just bad luck. That would be incredible. But if you think about it, the odds of him ever getting hit again, very low. Right. Both in the sense that you probably won't ever get hit again and the fact that he's dead. Yeah. But I mean, I just like to look at it statistically. Correct. Very low likelihood of ever being hit again by a meteor. He is buried underground, too, which compounds the, the effect. Great point. Great point. But, um, you know, just look at the odds. He also won't get struck by lightning either. I, mean, I don't want to seem like I'm irreverent to the whole thing, but the guy's dead. That's tragic. It's really we need to know if it was an explosion or a meteorite. That's a big deal. You don't want to 
you got to get that right, right? Hey, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, our um, in, no, our tech guru, Jay McFarland, will be joining us. And we're going to be talking everything from Twitter to uh, the FCC, one of the new moves that's being made by the FCC to, um, to basically open up the engineering of your cable box and make that, you know, an open innovation um, approach where anybody could now design your cable box and help you uh, access the cable providers. Well, the, just so you know, the cable providers don't like that idea. Um, interesting stuff, though. Stick with us. We're talking tech when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody. That's our favorite social media song and the theme song to our next guest. Uh, Jay McFarland is our tech guru. He um, he is uh, the host of the very popular uh, browsers program on KSL News Radio, and um, is uh, the author of two books: Freedom Ain't Free and Joyful Union. He also uh, has a great website if you go to jmcfarland.com, where he has. Hundreds of popular apps that he has designed, and he'll actually teach you how to design apps on your own. He's uh, he's just really all things tech. So, Jay, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. How are you, brother? Good morning. I'm doing fantastic. How about you? Great. You like our Let's Get Social social media song? Let's Get no, Techie? No, it, it's awful. But, you know. <laughs> it's from so the social, social media, media conference. Yeah. <laughs> Those are actually the organizers of the conference singing the song. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I'm just saying, you might sorry, want to be careful. I loved it. They might it want you to wonderful. speak someday. <laughs> anyway, Jay, so we got to talk tech, but a lot of the of tech today uh, that we that we have to talk about, it's kind of heady tech. It's wonky tech. Do you know what I mean? It is a little bit, yeah. Like, so Twitter, Twitter and Facebook are making some plays at kind of, I don't know, stealing each other's special sauce? Is that yeah, how you put it? a little it? bit. A little bit. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I don't know how, how much people use Twitter on a regular basis, honestly. I right. feel like it's a tool for the media. Yeah, no, it seems like it, it huh? Is, yeah, more than it is for every, your everyday average person. I mean, there are people who use it. They just follow a certain core group of people. And they just check in on it every once in a while. And that's actually the group of people that Twitter is targeting with this change in the order that you'll see the tweets, which for me has me a little concerned. Mm. But maybe for your average user, it's not going to be that big of a deal. Yeah. But for you, it does because – so what they're going to do is they're going to have an algorithm that will identify what's trending and then they'll put those trends into your Twitter feed? Yeah, do you feel like our entire lives are being dictated by this mysterious algorithm? Yes, what is I mean, this algorithm? I don't know. I don't know, but it scares me. I feel like every decision in my life is being made by this thing called an algorithm. Exactly. Uh, and I didn't even <laughs> like math. <laughs> I can I get it. Now it's controlling me. Yeah, so Twitter's idea, they're actually excited about this. They think you're going to love it. The idea is most people don't sit there and watch Twitter as it streams you know, all day long, right. like a stock ticker. Yeah. Most people have a life. 
Right. Well, I look at it. I just am glued to Twitter. You yeah. know, I can't move. But <laughs> the, the way it will work is you'll pop in on Twitter and like Facebook instead of showing you every single post by every single person that you follow. It's going to show you the highlights. It's going to figure out this is what Matt really wants to see mm. based upon what Matt has looked at in the past. So it'll give you the highlights. But in doing that, it's going to break up conversations. And uh, so you're going to have to dial in if you want to see oh, see more. Interesting. Yeah, because you used but to have – you just would naturally kind of go through everything. Yeah. But now you're going to be pushed to go through your top three or whatever. Yeah. Now they say you're going to be able to opt out of this feature. So when they say that, you're like, okay, fine. You know, you find the button, something in settings. And you say sort my timeline by algorithm or by, uh, you know, chronological order. So maybe if you're sitting down watching it, you can have it set in one way. And if you've been away for a while, I kind of like the idea of a snapshot. I would just like it as a separate button. You know, show me the snapshot. Show me the timeline. Give me a choice. So how it actually rolls out, people will start seeing it possibly this week or next week. That will, you know, depend a lot. People scream every time they right. change one of these things. Every time Facebook changes something, but this people is, freak out. There's mayhem in the streets. This is know. this is Twitter, though, basically taking a, a page out of Facebook's page. Yes, yes. But Facebook's it, doing the same yeah. thing, right, in reverse? A, a little bit. I mean, they're giving you options. They're, they're going to start offering you different types of timelines, and some of them are similar more to Twitter, which is you just want to see everything. Yeah. You know, from top to bottom. And, you know, if you're only following, you know, if you have like 50 Facebook friends or 100 Facebook friends, it, it might not take much to just go and and see absolutely everything. But if you have a lot of people that are in your friend list, then that that could be uh, troublesome. That yeah. could be, you know, a lot of work. Well, uh, and you need yeah. to get a life. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Outside of social media. But Facebook also, aren't they looking um, – one of the benefits of like Twitter is that you can take something like the Super Bowl and, and just participate in something real-time and have a real-time conversation about what's happening in this very real moment. Um, yeah, so like with hashtags. Yeah, with hashtags and stuff. And uh, yeah. But Facebook doesn't they, – they historically haven't had an answer to that except now they have this sports stadium idea. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, Just explain for this for the rest oh. of us, <laughs> the, 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 uh, the layman. Well, basically, the idea is kind of similar to hashtags that you're going to be able to dive into Facebook just as simply as I can. You've already kind of described it as simply as I can explain it is that you're going to be able to go in and follow certain memes or events. Like we do this on Twitter Mm -hmm. in the news business. When news starts breaking, we find the hashtag that has been assigned to that. And you can dive in and anything you post using that hashtag will be seen by anybody else following that, that story. Yeah. That has kind of the way, but honestly, I'm not sure how Facebook is going to implement it, whether it's going to be hashtags or, keywords or or they'll just be some subject attached to it um so we'll have to see how that plays out wow now explain this to me and you'll you'll be able to i'm sure better than anybody why so facebook seems to be making a lot of money and twitter doesn't seem to be making any yes am i right well i think so and what's the difference i mean is it and it 
I guess Facebook just has learned to monetize. I mean, they, they've actually ticked me off because of the way they do it. But, <laughs> but it seems well, like Twitter's struggling to get the same financial return. Well, and if you look at their stocks, I mean, Facebook went up, Twitter went way down. Of course, I bought Twitter. I didn't buy Facebook. Of course. That's, well, that's how we know, you know which that, one to not buy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Just follow the anti-J investment <laughs> model and you'll retire early and comfortably. Um, it's interesting. I use, like for when I'm on Twitter, I use a, a client on my Mac and I don't see a single ad ever. Not one. Yeah. You know? I don't see any. I'm looking at it right now, and I'm pulling up my news feed and my list. There's not a single ad in sight. So with no ads, there's no money. Yeah. So how are they going to make money off of me? I don't. You know, I don't. I don't see anything. I'm scrolling. Not one uh, sponsored ad. Not one posted tweet. I think if you, if you uh, or promoted tweet. I think if you go in on their website, you're going to see more of that. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I don't see those things that monetize it. Like I'm on their homepage right now. There's nothing. There's nothing. So wow. I guess is they're still in the process of, of figuring that out. I mean, I kind of like it, right? Yeah. There's yeah. No, but it really is not bothered. But. It's a darling of the media in a way. That's who you see that seems to be tweeting and yes. And loving it, it so much. And, and in fact, in our industry, it will tell you all news breaks first on Twitter now, all of it. So, what will happen is because, you know, it takes time in the media to turn a story, mm -hmm. whether you're in print, whether you have a website, whether you're in video. You think about it like a Channel 5 news here in yeah. Salt Lake. They may have a story that they're going to break, but they're not on until 6 o'clock. Right. You know? they're, right. they're not on until 10 o'clock. So you're not going to see that story. It's going to hit the Internet first, and people will – compose a 140 character or less tweet and post that and then they'll go and write the whole story that will be posted right. on their website for later on well and they can and that, periscope it right they can yeah. shoot video and put that in there if they want they can do whatever yeah so again i'm i'm looking here at uh at, at the twitter homepage just based upon your questions and i'm looking at all my tweets i can't see a single sign of no ads uh, yeah, of of revenue generating, you know, type type deals. Yeah. So they're going to have to figure that out. Well, let's do this, Jay. Let's take a break and come back. When we come back, another revenue issue that's coming up are about the cable boxes and yeah, the I'm FCC. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. Are you? In fact, I want to hear your yeah. take on it. Yeah. We'll take a yeah. break, come back more with our tech guru, Jay McFarland. Uh, he's going to un unbundle the cable box proposal coming from the FCC chairman. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, on the phone with us is our good buddy Jay McFarland. He's our tech guru and also the host of the uh, Browsers show on KSL News Radio. Um, he has a great website, jaymcfarland.com, where you can look at all of the apps that he's designed and created, plus figure out and learn how to create some apps of your own. Jay really truly is the uh, 
the guy that is in the know when it comes to technology. Jay, welcome back to the show, brother. Thank you, sir. Hey, so um, the FCC chairman is uh, apparently really big into stirring um, not just controversy, but he wants innovation when it comes to the cable box system. So every cable company has a box and but they're proprietary i guess to that cable company right and so he's Correct. saying let's make it so anybody can design a box and the and that the cable can be delivered through anybody's box yeah now to be fair to him he is doing this by assignment from congress okay good so they yeah they let him know uh this is this is it kind of has the feel of monopoly a little bit and it stifles competition so we want you to come up with a proposal to solve the problem. Okay. And, and Congress is doing this based on demand from from their I, their I, money makers. Uh, yeah, I okay. you know, they, I guess the whole interstate commerce yeah. clause gives them some ability to butt their nose in here. Okay. And uh, so he's the FCC has been looking at this for a while and a couple of weeks ago they came out with a proposal that I find to be very interesting. Mm-hmm. You should know the uh, cable companies are saying this is outrageous. This is Ridiculous. This is not going to help uh, anybody uh, innovate. What they want to do is say, they're saying, we'll push out some apps. Like, we'll let you get an app. And, and you, like, I have a direct TV app mm-hmm. that allows me to access some direct TV programming on my phone. They say, that's the innovation. That's all you need. What the chairman is saying, no, no, no. We want you to have a standard API or ability for. Uh, for tech companies out there to be able to access the system that gets your channels. And then they can create their own cable boxes. They can create their own hardware and they can innovate on what you're doing. And so the, I guess the best example is uh, we, most of us now have a cable box right? and then we might have another box, which is like our Roku, our Apple TV, whatever that is, right? That's how we're pulling in Netflix and some other things. Their idea is, well, what if Apple could just, that little Apple TV could also be your set-top box. Oh, boy. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, this is cool. Yeah. Yeah, now you have one box, and and then Apple and other app developers can figure out different ways for you to be able to use it. Like right now, my new Apple TV, I can talk into the remote, and I can say, show me all of all of the TV shows or the movies available with this particular actor. Right. So it goes out and it searches Netflix and Hulu and iTunes. But what if it also could search DirecTV and oh. show you when your DirecTV programming is? Yeah, I just I, did I, that. I, That's kidding. horrible. I, I That drives yeah. me crazy. I have the yeah. exact same problem. You I'm can only search one or the other. For me. So, yeah. so you're, so, so Roku would then do it. I'm, a, I mean, I'm assuming TiVo. Anybody who wants to do it would do it. Right now, like TiVo has an interface. They've partnered with some of these. Um, and so you can get a TiVo to go with Dish, I think, or something like that. But there's a, anybody who would want to do it would have access to it. And I believe that that actually would, yes, spur on innovation. Of course, the cable companies are crying foul because you know how much money they make off set-top box rentals? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, it's. It, it, I think the average is over $200 a year per Per consumer, per user, over two hundred dollars a year <laughs> for this one box yeah. that probably costs them, you know, thirty dollars, forty dollars to make. Yeah, that you're and leasing they're, they're, or renting, right? Right, 
they're just turning the dollar bills for that. And it doesn't have the quality of what an Apple TV or some other Roku or whatever might bring to it. Yeah, or the or the the functionality. The functionality, right? right. So yeah, so I I love the idea of one one box to rule them all, sitting up there, uh, everybody competing to make it the best one possible, and you can you know roll all those features together. To me, that just makes perfect sense oh yeah but of course they're fighting it. yeah well and it's interesting too because apple apple turned the music industry upside down but they mm-hmm. haven't seemed to be able to do the same thing with the the television industry or the yeah or any of the other media kind of like it was kind of like their orphan child i mean the last model of apple tv sat there for years and years and years with no changes no innovation same price so the fact that they even released a new Apple TV was surprising to people. It was like, oh, you do care about this product. Mm. And now you're finally seeing some innovation because they made it a, it's a gaming console and, you know, you've got touch-sensitive controls on the remote control. And now, like some of the other ones, you can talk into it. And it's pretty cool when you can start asking questions about – about programming and it just throws up all the options there for you to check out. Oh, I, I love, love that. I mean, I, cause yeah. really I, I won't name the name of my cable provider. Um, yeah. I almost was about to rhyme it with something, but, um, <laughs> but in the end, what I, I hadn't seen an innovation in their tech, in their, you know, in their device access device for 10 years until about yeah. a year ago, not even a year ago, Wow, six months wow. ago. And um, now it's like fantastic. Wow, it's so awesome. But then it doesn't do any – it doesn't get into my Netflix. It doesn't get into no. any of my other tools I use. So it's like, well, oh, okay, it's would, limited. Why would they do that? That's right. right? And What's it, their incentive to provide you access to other programs? Right. They don't have any incentive to do that. See, that's so, that's where they're going to get hurt right there. Yeah. It, they should do yeah, it just it really so I don't is. have to have I, three remotes. Oh, just for that Imagine reason. Imagine one remote, oh. you know, and access all that programming so it goes to every source when you do a search. Come on. Oh. I and mean, that's just that's that's amazing to me. And that's then the and, and then you could tweet now. off of it and oh, do yeah. your hashtag tweet Absolutely. search for the news. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, the only issue I have is like Apple TV uses Siri and you know the relationship I have with Siri. Yeah, you and she Siri haven't me. gotten along for years. No, she denies my requests. Mm-hmm. She laughs at me. She yeah. mocks me. I think she's actually dating you know, someone else. I, I, you know, we I, we haven't talked for years now, so <laughs> I don't know what she's up to. But my my know, I, you, my Siri doesn't seem ahead. to understand me. No, I, mine doesn't at all. I don't get it. <laughs> do I, I don't talk? Get it at all? But do they not know that I'm on the radio? Come on, Siri. That's what I thought. Hey, did you hear President Obama's uh, interview on Super Bowl Sunday about his daughters not being able to get good Wi-Fi? What do you think about that? Well, listen to this. I have been, you know, jokingly saying that I'm running for president this year, uh, but I'm now rethinking that, and and solely for one reason. (laughs) Yeah. Because because of the Wi-Fi and the Wi-Fi. You need Wi-Fi. I am not. I am not going to go live somewhere where the Wi-Fi is spotty. That is an outrage. Right. I don't even know how they live there. You know, how does the president of the United States not have access to the internet in some places in the White House? Well, you know what's funny is you know where they always find the girls every night is huddled around uh, underneath the table in the Situation Room. 
because that's where all the Wi-Fi is. That's where the best Wi-Fi is. Apparently, it's not upstairs in the quarters. It's crazy. This is not the first time that we've heard about this. Michelle Obama has complained about this before. She says that one of the biggest frustrations her two daughters have with this this huge government house they live in is they have to wander around searching for good Wi-Fi. We, that blows my mind. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I understand it's an old building, but there are Wi-Fi extenders. You know, I have a room in my house where we don't get good Wi-Fi. I went out, it was 40 bucks. I bought an extender. <laughs> it throws the Wi-Fi out there. I, can't you just put a, can't really you just put a router in every room? Yeah, Worst case scenario? It doesn't give me a lot of confidence in what's going on over yeah, there. No. You can't get Wi-Fi in every room of this building? You can I'm have any meal made for you at any time, but you can't get Wi-Fi. Yes. No, that's right. That's a first-world problem the right the there. free world, and you can't check Facebook in the, in the bathroom. You know? It's, oh, jeez. I don't know how you could go to right. the bathroom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what do you do? Yeah, I guess people used to bring newspapers. That's so exactly I, right. Go back to the old paper days. I I guess. Hey, what what other tech do we need to be paying attention to? Anything on your radar that we haven't talked about that needs to be just at least brought up? Uh, well, you know, I'm always watching the drones and yeah. always concerned about uh, this this situation where drones are being used to deliver contraband into prisons, mm. and they're being used to you know they think that terrorists are testing out these unmanned aerial vehicles to deliver explosives or or to use them for communication or those types of things. So we're seeing a lot of governments figure out how they're going to handle these drones. And there are two governments on this earth right now, Matt, that are experimenting using eagles. Oh, I thought, yeah, this is cool. Eagles to take drones out of the sky. Now, the first one is the Dutch. Now, I heard the Dutch were doing this, and I'm like, okay, you know, they're going to find out that these UAVs have these spinning blades on the top of <laughs> and them. And they're going to shred an eagle. <laughs> you would think that that would be a deterrent. Uh, but now we just heard a couple of days ago that the, that the Brits are doing it. In the U.K., they're, try, they're experimenting with flying attack eagles that would spot any drone in areas where they're not supposed to be, and they'll go and they'll grab them and pluck them out of the sky. That is so cool. And that's the American <laughs> symbol right there. Yeah. Until, until all it's of a sudden cool, you hear, but... and you just shred an eagle. Then, that's gonna, then yeah, there's going to be backlash. That's what I don't understand. I mean, I've, we've seen technology where people have these, these guns that will scramble the signal of the drone. Right. That makes sense to me. I like the idea of like a flamethrower, like you know, turret. Yeah. Like set up there. Oh, that would be cool. So that you're you're flying your drone like an idiot. It costs you twelve hundred dollars, and you just see it burst into flames. I like the drama of that. Although the <laughs> eagle can be pretty dramatic. Yeah, the eagle. You know, the eagle is dramatic. <laughs> Except, I mean, I guess part of it is you just train the bird, I guess, to dodge the blade or something. Maybe they can fly upside know. down for a second. Yeah, I, or maybe it comes from up right underneath in the it. Middle, yeah, or it just swipes at it. You know, I don't. We've seen other other countries experiment with, with drones that have these huge nets hanging yeah, down, right? And they just capture the drone in the net. It is unbelievable. This this is what our governments are <laughs> dealing with right now. Right? How to figure out 
how to control drones. I but mean, see, here but, we're being asked to register them. I know. Now we are, yeah. But the, the but yeah. an eagle is a very fast learner, so they would only yeah. make the mistake a couple times, and then they'd know how to catch <laughs> the drone. Still, if they're still intact, yeah, and but they can still fly, yeah. Then they're that, smart. Then we're on to something. But there is something about the drone, like the FAA is trying to prevent, um, you know, these drones from flying in. I guess it happened during a, a football game, a soccer game in yes. in the UK somewhere where a drone flies in and interrupts the entire thing. But a, a drone could fly into a Super Bowl and just steal attention from everybody or worse, harm everybody. So they got to yeah, find an answer. A, but We had a tennis event here recently where there was a drone – that flew in and actually crashed into some of the uh, spectators. Oh, boy. Uh, and then you had that drone that flew and crashed onto the White House lawn. Yeah. I mean, and some of these are pretty big. You yeah, don't yeah. want them crashing into your head. No, you know? no. Yeah, d- um, yeah, you'll get in trouble. <laughs> even right here in Utah, in the uh, Utah State Legislature right now, there's a bill uh, designed to make it a crime to fly a drone near any type of firefighting situation. Because over the last couple of years, we've had cases where people want to get cool aerial video right. of the forest fire, and they're getting in the way of the helicopters and the planes, and they've actually shut down the entire oh. aerial operation because some... there's drones in the yeah. area. No. I mean, the, you know, I understand the government's concern about drones because people are dumb. Oh, yeah. And they just think these things can go anywhere. And, and then wait till they put a laser pointer on the drone and then fly it out over by the airport. <laughs> I mean, people just don't, they don't get it. Do that's they? deadly. They are de- that's, deadly why, that's why you send an eagle right after them. What they ought to do is send yeah. the eagle after the drone commander that's, that's, that's flying the drone. Now, I love this idea. Because that's safer. Don't, yeah, don't find the drone. Go and get the drone <laughs> operator. That, all you got to do is have an eagle after you. That's like, that's <laughs> yeah. bad. You're in for of a bad. Then, the eagle attacks the operator. The drone is now flying around. Oh, that's out of true. Control. That's true. Oh, yeah. You know the mayhem. See, I that's don't I don't. Maybe you need two eagles. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But again, I love the sense of drama there. You know, <laughs> and you and want I want that video out. And you have to have the eagle has to be strapped people. up with a video recorder, right? A GoPro, yes. so that you can see yes. the eagle so attack can. the drone yep. operator. Mm. See, this it. is why love we it. should be in charge, Jay. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's another. See, I work for the Department of Poetic Justice. That's oh, yeah. where I want to be employed. Oh, that'd be right. <laughs> yeah. That would be fun. You could you could write your yeah. own script, man. Mm-hmm. Well, Jay, we Absolutely. appreciate you, man. It's always fun to learn about tech with you. And uh, again, go to your website, right? JayMcFarland.com. Anything new on the site? You know, I've been a slacker. I've published like 10 different additional apps and i haven't updated my website come on what a loser. jay get on it i know what a loser no you've a had loser. A, you've had you needed a break jay okay. mcfarland <laughs> you're the best thanks my friend thank you sir take Have care go check it out at jaymcfarland.com 10 more apps though for heaven's sakes busy busy man we'll take a break come back wrap up uh this second hour of the show stick with us you're listening to the matt townsend show Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, while we're on the subject of technology, uh, we really got to get to our next Bad Boys segment. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? 
In London, British police have arrested a suspected thief with 38 mobile phones stuffed down his trousers. Yep. West Midlands police say they believe the man stole the phones from concert goers at a show by a band, the Libertines, in Birmingham, central England. The 30-year-old man and a second man, who was also arrested, were spotted at the venue with their trousers taped closed at the bottom. Police were on the lookout after reports of phone thefts during an earlier Libertines gig in the northwest England city of Manchester. So they just tape their legs closed, I guess, in their trousers and then just start dropping phones down their pants. So 38 phones equals, according to our research, about 48 pounds of phonage. Really bottom heavy. Yeah, there's a point where it seems like there'd be a dead giveaway. You've either got some major cankles, right, or you got technology wrapped around your legs. Duh. It was a valiant effort, though. Not really. Right? I mean... I thought about taping the bottoms. That's kind of smart. Just, yeah. I mean, maybe. I mean, it just seems like you have a better plan. Pockets. Yeah. You could probably fit five phones in a pocket. Yeah, but they have like 40 phones. I know. So five phones per pocket. That's 20 phones just in your pockets, front and back pockets of your jeans. Two guys, 40 phones. Bada boom, bada bing. See? We're here to help everybody. We don't want to just help the healthy average person that's not going to commit a felon. We like to also help the 30-year-old criminal that wants to steal 40 phones from concert goers. Really, I think we're trying to empty the, the prison system. So we know that they're too full. They're too full. So a lot of bad stuff happened there. We want to get people out of there. You just got to think. 38 phones in his trousers. We obviously uh, have an easy answer. Taze it. I wonder how many tasers you could fit in your pants. I bet you could fit 38 tasers. Well, with the new mini taser that we're rolling out next month, you, the could, mini, probably, yeah. you could probably fit three tasers <laughs> per pocket. Three pa- that depends if they're, if they're bedazzled. Yeah. I mean, with bedazzling, you could probably only fit two. Yeah. We get pretty serious with but that. Nice. But there is the, there's the micro tase. We call it micro tase. Yeah, but it's not nearly as effective. Mm-hmm. But it is great if you have a lot of facial hair. True. Just to uh, take that facial hair off. Taze it. Man, your face is so silky smooth. Thanks. I micro-tase it. Brought to you by Taserama. (sighs) Just trying to have a little side job here, folks. Everything can't be about radio. We have an entrepreneurial spirit here. (laughs) And we're starting our own company, Taserama, and from Tasers R Us. We think the Taser has gotten a really bad reputation. Anyway, that's the uh, second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Come back next hour. We're going to be talking about how to communicate your relationship needs to your partner. You can whine. You can complain. You can do the beat down. You can try to beat around the bush. Or you can just communicate. We'll be talking with Dr. Lisa Firestone on communicating your relationship needs. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the information you need to actually, you know, live your life today. Many times you'll read the news, you'll listen to the news, and you're like, I don't know what that has to do with me today. I'm not going to be doing anything with the government's budget today. But today you are going to need to learn how to talk to your spouse and say what you want and what you need in your marriage. You got to know how to do that. Really? Well, if you, you, you can't just grunt or something. No, you're, in fact, your wife called and oh. she said, please, please make sure Terry is listening today. Okay. I will listen and take notes. Because she's tired of like dropping hints. She drops hints to what she needs. Yeah, she did that while we were dating too. It was really cumbersome because I missed everyone. <laughs> now, now she yells out, hint. Yeah, she just points it. That was a hint. I'm like, I know, I know. I know. It's a lot of work. So today, Dr. Lisa Firestone will be joining us, and we are going to talk about how to communicate your needs in your relationship. Fairly basic stuff, you'd think, but I think it's so difficult for many. We usually end up complaining, you know, putting people down, fighting, ignoring, feeling like a victim, playing all these games. And instead, you could just say it is what I need. My wife likes it when I'm just more direct like that. Just say what you need. It's less guessing. You yeah. get right to the get to what the, the heart of the matter just is. Get to the point. You know, playing like you're saying, playing games and just playing this game of dodgeball as you're trying to. Nope, that wasn't it. And you yeah. move over to here. It just if you get right to the point, you get right to the heart of the matter, Boom. and you fix it. And if you fix it, and then, then it's, it's, it's the rip done. the bandage off thing. You go slow; it's going to hurt. Just so you, rip you it off. You like that metaphor? Just get it done. It's it's because the excuses in the end when they come and see me and they're like, "What? I did not know. Relax. I didn't know. I didn't know you were hating it for 18 years. <laughs> you never said anything. I shouldn't have to say anything. If you love me, you would have known. Um, so you got to watch out for that. And you got to watch out for excuses. By the way, a job site survey found that there's some bizarre excuses that workers are giving for their lateness. These are good. You should try these occasionally. This is from the site Career Builder. I use them every day. Hmm. Uh, like one was, um, you know, some outlandish claims like that uh, their cars were slipping due to Vaseline truck spill. Hmm. Interesting. Weird. You have to probably back that up somehow with a news story. You know what? I would have loved to have been here on time, but there was a bear taking a nap on the hood of my car. Hmm. That's a bad one. Uh, these are some others. Um, I thought of quitting today, but then I decided not to. So I just decided to come in late. Hmm. Okay. That's an oh, interesting approach. To, well, I'm so glad you didn't quit. Yeah. But now I'm going to fire you. Right. My hair caught on fire from my hair dryer, my blow dryer. It happens. But, but you'd have to come in smelling of burnt hair. So you'd have to do some prep before right. showing up to work. But you can just see a desperate person like lighting his hair on fire. I got to do this. Uh, another said he was detained by Homeland Security. Mm. And, had, of co- <laughs> and of course they wouldn't acknowledge that they did arrest somebody because it's Homeland Security. How about this one? Um, I had to chase my cows back into the field today, so I had to like run three miles today. I'm sorry. So maybe the weeks leading up to 
the possible event you drop some hints about your cattle? Holy cattle. Hey, um, Stacy, can I talk to you for a minute? Yeah. Do you have any cattle? No, I don't have any cows. You don't have any cows? Do you have dogs or anything? So let's just say your dogs got out. What would you do to keep your dogs in? I have cattle. So that's how you set it up. Maybe you send out a group email to yeah. the entire office about maybe a new name for your ranch. <laughs> and then everyone can chime yeah. in, new new ideas, oh, new names. This is for perfect. You're ranch. setting up the perfect. And then just call Stacy your boss. Stacy, oh, you won't believe it. Okay, you know my ranch? La Frontera? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I lost all my cattle. Someone left the fence open, the gate open. There seems to be a lot of work involved in these excuses instead really of just being this, on time. This is a better one. Oh. Uh, my lizard had to have emergency surgery in the morning and died during surgery. Mm. I had to mourn while deciding whether to have the lizard disposed of by the vet or bring the lizard corpse to work with me. So I just decided to just drop the corpse off at my home instead of bringing it into work because I didn't want the lizard to be in my office because that would be weird and I'd be sad all day. And I didn't want it to just rot in the car. So sorry, Stacy, that I was late. Hmm. Great excuse. I think at that point, it's so complicated, your boss just sends you on your way. <laughs> just sure. go back to your desk, whatever. Yeah. Um, Stacy, you won't believe this. Yeah, Matt here. Yeah, cubicle four. Uh, someone took all my clothes. All my clothes are gone. I don't know who took them. But I I can't come in naked. You want me to come in naked? You just want me there. Um, okay, I'll have to go buy clothes. I'll be in in a few. I'll be in in a few minutes. <laughs> do you think they have cute clothes at Walgreens? They do. Okay. Is it okay if I don't? If I just wear a sweatshirt and sweatpants? <laughs> People, come on. It's because, you know, they're making up excuses. The best one that totally reminded me of uh, Ben is that there's fresh powder on the hill, so I had to go skiing. I had to go skiing. You got to well, do what you got to do. There was your excuse. I'm stuck behind a snowplow. Uh, yeah, but I was li- that's, well, that's why I was late, yeah. Yeah, that was a weak excuse. Yeah, we both went right. I was stuck behind, I was stuck behind five snowplows. Yeah. With a little sidekicker one. A sidekicker snowplow. You're probably at home playing Mario Kart or something. <laughs> yeah, yes. playing video games with your kids. I wish. It's six in the morning. I was only 10 minutes late. Yeah. But that was your excuse that you're stuck behind snowplows. For Which was totally understandable 20 since minutes. It, it snowed that morning. I had seen the snowplows on the freeway, uh, but fact, that you, was your you excuse. Had, so you well thought me. out, but still weak. Yeah, I texted yeah. you and said apparently Utah County, where the studios are located, yeah. does not believe in plowing snow. <laughs> they don't. Because the roads were packed. So it's Utah snow. County's fault, quite yeah. honestly. Blame the, the county leadership. But I do, I do want everyone to know about my ranch. The old Hacienda? Yeah, because I, I, there's, there's a holiday coming up this weekend, I believe, and my anniversary is on Monday, part of the holiday. So if Tuesday I call in about my ranch, hmm. just know it's legit. Okay. La Hacienda, La Frontera. Hey, um, let's get to the headlines, Terry. Anything going on that we need to be focusing on? Recap the, the big story of the morning. Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders were the winners in the New Hampshire primaries. Here's Donald Trump. Congratulations to Bernie. In all fairness, we have to congratulate him. We may not like it, but I heard parts of Bernie's speech. He wants to give away our country, folks. He wants to give away. We're not going to let it happen. We're not going to let it happen. I don't know where it's going with Bernie. We wish him a lot of luck, but 
We are going to make America great again, but we're going to do it the old-fashioned way. We're going to beat China, Japan. We're going to beat Mexico at trade. That's the old-fashioned way. The old-fashioned way. So the Sanders over Hillary Clinton, 60 to 38 percent for the Democrats. On the Republican side, Donald Trump, 35 percent. John Kasich, 15. Ted Cruz, Jeb Bush, both with around 11. There's 94 precincts, 94 percent reporting right now. That wow, number that all? could change. Yeah, that's 6 percent not reporting. Yeah, so they're still counting. And it's like 11.6 for, for Cruz and then 11.1 for Jeb, so... Why is it taking so long to count? I don't know. They're using their fingers and toes. Oh, the old-fashioned way. The old-fashioned way. FBI Director James Comey told the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee on Tuesday that bureau technicians have been unable to unlock encrypted data on a cell phone that belonged to Saeed Farouk and Tafshin Malik, the shooters who killed 14 people in San Bernardino, California, December wow, 2nd. really? So they still can't open their phone because of encryption. The FBI experts can't open them up. That's amazing. Comey said that the encrypted cell phone and text messaging apps make it difficult for investigators to trace locations or track active plots after they have a suspect's phone. Encryption algorithms scramble the data once a pin code is set, and many companies say they don't have the capability to unscramble the memory, arguing such capacity would weaken security and privacy. They have not acknowledged which phone the people used. Mm. You know what's interesting? Speculation can... It's weird because, like, on the show 24, yeah. they can unscramble everything. Absolutely. And quickly. Not just 24, pretty much any TV show that yeah. it's a law enforcement situation, they get a cell phone, they can bust right into it. The police, they, the FBI, need, they need to watch more TV. Yeah, more TV. NCIS, they're really good That's at right, this. That's right, exactly. Uh, but they, was it Apple has said that they... They don't have the encryption key, so once a, a, a customer puts in a PIN code, that's their phone. They can't open it. Wow. So it could be an iPhone. It could be an Android phone. We don't know, but uh, either way, they're not able to get to that info. Uh, further testimony on Capitol Hill. They said that an attack by ISIS on U.S. soil this year is likely. Uh, Lieutenant General Vincent Stewart, the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, said that ISIS will probably attempt to conduct nas- uh, additional attacks in Europe and attempt to direct attacks on the U.S. homeland in 2016. Hmm. So things to look forward to. Yeah, but at least they're not hacking into your phones very easily. No, they can't get into your phone. So wow. some Midwest states, Michigan, Wisconsin, Illinois, Minnesota, North Dakota, Oklahoma, Indiana, Ohio, and Kansas. So that area of the country, oh the boy. middle. They're already seeing the lowest prices in 12 years for gas. And one in four U.S. gas stations is currently selling gas for $1.50 or less, according to Time magazine. Incredible as it sounds, we wouldn't be shocked to see a few stations in these states as low as 99 cents a gallon Sometime this year, say experts. As of Tuesday afternoon, nationwide average for a gallon of gas was $1.72. That approximately $0.07 cents less than last week, $0.26 cents less than a month, $0.46 cents less than a year ago. And it's the lowest average price in the U.S. has seen in six years. Unless you're in California, you're still paying about two and a half. Oh, this and it's great news, except for all the oil companies and yeah. all of their employees. If they're losing jobs, losing business because uh, huh. there's not there's more oil than they know what to do with at the moment. Uh, Chinese officials said Wednesday that the Zika virus was detected in a man who had recently traveled to South America, marking the country's first case of the mosquito-borne virus, and it's in eastern China. So they're they're keeping him quarantined. He's go. been in there since the first of the month, and they're, uh, this rapid spread of Zika has caused a global alarm, prompting the World Health Organization to declare an international health emergency. On February 1st, we'll have an expert in on Tuesday morning 
to discuss this issue. See, of course, we're on top of it. And now they're finding out that it may be causing eye problems. So not just brain and and smaller heads in these children, but um, eye problems as well. And in other news, uh, Cam Newton. Yeah. The losing quarterback from the Super Bowl. Threw a little fit. And threw his fit and left his uh, his podium at yeah. his post uh, press con- his post loss press conference. Two days after the loss, he says that uh, he has admitted that he is a sore loser, but will not apologize for his actions. Showing me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. Well, in the GOP, there's like four good losers. Yeah, he goes. He paraphrases the legendary quote from Vince Lombardi, adding that he isn't going to conform to how the media wants him to act following tough games. Yeah. Well, okay. But people love him, so just be yeah. a good winner or be a good loser too. Yeah, he doesn't have to do much. You just answer the questions and walk away. He, you Honestly, he'd be out there for five minutes. Yeah. Because there's not much to say. You right. lost. You right. didn't play well. I'm sorry. I but when you, you kick a fit, that's all people remember. Oh, you can go yeah. kick a fit in the locker room. Just that's keep right. it out of, out of a camera's view and you'll be fine. But they don't oh, get this point. Oh, Cam, so. come on, man. People were loving you. Come on. Anyway, we'll uh, we're going to talk to the BYU sports guys about that. Yeah, we are. We're going to get there on that one. Hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Lisa Firestone will be joining us. We're going to be discussing communicating your own relationship needs. When you have a need in your relationship, how do you actually share it with your partner? You know, not the fighting, not the flighting. Just actually get the information out. Four ways to say what you want in your relationship Stick with us, folks, hopefully uh, here to give you the tools to love stronger and have a healthier relationship. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Say what you need to say. Say what you need to say. Say what you need to say. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, people often say that communication is the key to a relationship. While that may be true, many times it's easier said than done. Sometimes it's just so easy to tell somebody that they need to say what they need to say. But at some point, uh, especially under stress, it gets a lot harder to do it. So how do you say what you want to say in a way that will make it easier for others to hear you? Um we're going to be speaking now to our guest, Dr. Lisa Firestone. She's the Director of Research and Education at the Glendon Association and Senior Editor at PsychAlive.org. She specializes in couple relationships and is with us today to discuss her article, Four Ways to Say and Get What You Want in Your Relationship. Dr. Lisa Firestone, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, thanks for having me, Matt. I'm glad to be here. You bet. Honored to have you. I loved the article. Um about uh, you know how to say what you need to say. It's such a hard thing. Why is communication and really communicating our our needs such a difficult thing in our most important relationships? Well, I think part of the difficulty is it makes us feel very vulnerable um, to be in a wanting state and asking for what you want. You have to first of all feel it, what it is that you really want, and then express it. And I think that's difficult for people. No, totally. Don't you think? And and that that's a great way to phrase it. A wanting state. We we kind of want to act like we we have no wants. Right, like we don't need anything from anybody else. And often this is a message we get early on in life that we want too much, or uh, that it's not okay to want, or that you're going to get hurt if you want. That's true, huh? And then so then you may learn that 
I shouldn't have to ask for it. And then I guess what happens is we hope that our partner uh, is going to just naturally love us so much they're going to, I guess, intuit what we want. They're going to figure out what we want. Yeah, they're going to read our minds and meet all our needs perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I don't see that happening. <laughs> it's hard. No, it doesn't really happen that way. And it is really important to feel your wants and to be able to express them. Um, but to to do it in a way that's not, you know, entitled or, or victimized either. Yeah, you don't want to. Yeah, you don't want to sound like a victim or even play the victim. You also don't want to accuse people of not caring because that's, I guess, another way to to shut off them even wanting to hear you. Right, and I think when you accuse people of of not caring, partly you're accusing them of not having read your mind often and figured out what it is you want. When you can ask directly from a vulnerable place, your partner is actually very likely. Um, to want to try to provide that if they can. Right. Is it, um, I guess this is really more of a skill, it sounds like, that that people need to learn. And yet, uh, it, I guess a lot of us think it should just be natural. Yeah, I, I think that maybe it would be natural if we hadn't experienced uh, hurts early on or in, you know, in past relationships as well. Um, but I, I do think it is hard for people to be vulnerable. We live in a society that teaches you to be sort of tough and pseudo-independent and take care of yourself, um, not have any needs particularly. Uh, and yet we you know, very much do have needs and wants, especially in our closest relationships. Is, is this idea of vulnerable – I've always found when I coach couples that – um, there's really a magical moment when somebody will be vulnerable. They kind of open up. They're, I call it more real. They end up maybe crying when they've always wanted to cry or they, or they emote. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've noticed that if, if one person's vulnerable and the other person receives it well, it ends up heightening intimacy. It ends up heightening closeness. Very much so. I think when you're vulnerable, you're much more likely to actually get what you want, even though it feels like a scary state or, you know, maybe have been labeled even being weak or something. But actually, it it does open the other person up, and it's very likely to melt their heart, and it leads to much more closeness and an actual understanding of each other so that then you can provide what the other one wants and needs. Does it um – this, in a way, it seems like this could also be a little bit gender-oriented where I could see for some reasons men might be much less willing to be vulnerable. Right. I think that males in our society are pretty socialized to uh, not be vulnerable. You know, when you're five years old and you cry to your mother for something, you're considered a mama's boy. You know, yeah, you get right. attacked for that. So, you know, the idea is not to act like you have any feelings or any wants, and yet, obviously, men, just as much as women, have feelings and have wants and needs in relationships. Yeah. Um, the, uh, it's, that word vulnerable, just, it, it does. It's such, a, it, it's such an unnerving idea that I have to go express weakness or, you know, insecurity or fear about something. But that really is, it seems like, the, the, one of the main roles that we play in our most intimate relationships is to be there to to make it safe for people to be vulnerable with us. Right. And I, I think that, you know, it may seem weak, but it's actually the strongest position to be in. Yeah, yeah. When you're vulnerable, you're more likely to get what you want. You're more likely to have people be vulnerable with you, um, you know, and that's why I also, uh, you know, suggest to couples they practice something I call unilateral disarmament. Yeah, talk about and, that. That's to me. This yeah. is such a fascinating, and it's actually I think it's it's an essential skill. 
I think it's a really essential skill because, you know, when one partner lashes out for whatever reason, you know, the tendency is to lash back, you know, because you feel hurt. And then it can really escalate, you know, to where people are, are saying very hurtful things, which they may not even fully mean, um, just trying to win their point or be right, you know, um, instead of be close. You know, they forget what their overall goal is for the relationship. Right. Um, and so the idea is when, you know, when you feel hurt, instead of lashing back to unilaterally disarm and actually reach out and be warm toward your partner, maybe even put a hand on them and say something like, I care more about feeling close to you than winning this argument. Um, now, again, most of the time that's going to melt your partner's heart. Also, you're not going to feel bad about all the things you've said or done that maybe you really wish you hadn't. Right. And there won't be this damage done to your relationship on both sides by people saying very hurtful things that are kind of hard to take back afterwards. Yeah, and it, what it, it seems to do is if one person's reacting – your inclination, I guess, is to react and either attack back or run away. But you're saying just kind of center yourself, step towards them, maybe touch them, and mm-hmm. and and make some statement that, look, I'm not here to fight with you. I want to understand where you're coming from. Right, and it takes a lot of ability to sort of calm yourself down and be not reactive to do this. But if you can do this, it actually gives you a lot of power to have impact on not only your relationship partner, but your children, uh, you know, people at work. You know, it, it's an important skill for really staying who you want to be in the world, uh, in your relationship, as a parent, um, as a coworker. You know, who, who is it you want to be and staying in that posture no matter what anybody else does, which is actually a pretty strong position. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I always jokingly say, but it's true that my husband is better at this than I am. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's an interesting tactic because um, if you – just the words you call it, practice unilateral disarmament. If all of a sudden we had two people that cared about each other who for one reason or another had their guns drawn on each other, when you put your gun down and kick it away, you're you're vulnerable again. Yeah, you're vulnerable again and again very – often that will let the other person drop their armor, too. You know, when you keep pointing the gun, then people feel threatened, you know, and and they're going to either threaten back or run away. Like you said, they're going to be in kind of fight-or-flight mode and not able to really communicate. You know, when we're in that kind of triggered or emotionally heightened state, you know, we get into that kind of fight-or-flight state, like we're in a dangerous situation. Instead of remembering that actually we're an adult, we're pretty safe, this is our relationship partner, if we drop our weapons and calm our brain down, we can communicate using, you know, more of our ability to use our words, to make eye contact, and all these much more friendly ways of engaging. Right. And I guess it's it's almost illogical, though, right, um, where everyone else would be saying, no, defend yourself. You've got to defend. Don't let him talk to you like that. But what you're saying is I'm not, I'm not going to react here. I'm actually going to choose – the healthier choice, if you want to continually be unhealthy, I'm not going to participate in that. Right. And, and you know, you're not giving in. It's not like you're saying, oh, you're right or, all right. This, you know, everything you say is, you know, the truth and I have no part in this. Um, I mean, you know, you have no part in this. I'm, it's all the, I'm all to blame. That isn't what you're saying. You're just saying I care more about being close to you and you're taking that stance. I'm not going to be somebody I don't want to be. I'm not going to be 
the yelling, shrieking, whatever, throwing things person that yeah. you may be trying to provoke me to be. I'm just going to stay being me, and hopefully you're going to be able to drop your side and recognize that maybe it's worth it to stay close to me. No, oh, exactly. I think that's powerful. Again, we're speaking um, with Dr. Lisa Firestone, author of the book The Self Under Siege, and um, also the article Four Ways to Say and Get What You Want in Your Relationship. So far, she's taught us to stay vulnerable and to practice unilateral disarmament. We'll take a break, come back, and continue learning uh, two other skills, two other tools that will help us get what we want and be able to say what we need in our relationships powerful communication skills. Up next, folks, stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. To the Matt Townsend Show. If you've ever just wanted to be able to share something that's in your heart with someone you care about, you just don't know how, you don't dare, um, you know, you probably end up finding some pretty ineffective ways of doing it. Maybe, you know, making accusations, playing the victim, playing the martyr. No, I'll do it. I do everything. Um, But in the end, There might be healthier ways to do it, and we're talking with our guest, Dr. Lisa Firestone, who wrote the article, Four Ways to Say and Get What You Want in Your Relationship, and so far she's taught us a couple of them. One is to be vulnerable, stay stay in that vulnerable space, Um, and another is to practice unilateral disarmament, where you put your gun down. You're you basically in the when it's engaging into an argument or a fight, don't run away, stay put, but just. Lower the gun, lower the weapon, and just verbally say, I'm not, I want to connect with you. I'm not here to fight you. And try to understand where they're coming from. Dr. Firestone, welcome back to the show and thank you for this insight. Oh, you're welcome. Talk to us about um, the victimized language. One of your uh, rules was to don't use victimized language. What do you mean by that? Right. A, a lot of people in relationships, um, will play the victim. You know, um, I'm the one who does everything, like you said. Um, I'm the one who always has to give in. Um, you know, if only you would do this, if only you would do that. Um, and often there's partly a feeling of feeling entitled or like uh, you absolutely need this from your partner and they're supposed to meet all of your needs, so you're a victim if they don't. And the reality is no one person can meet all of your needs. Now, that means that you might like classical music and your partner doesn't. So maybe you go to see those kinds of concerts with a friend, um, and that's okay. Or, you know, maybe going to basketball, basketball games is not your partner's thing, but then you can share that with somebody else. Hmm. Now, we do need to have some shared activities, obviously, yeah, right. to grow our relationship. So it's not that we should just rule out all of each other's interests. That would be bad. But, you know, it's often this thing like this is the only person and they've got to meet all my needs. And that's a lot of a burden to put on any other person. Right. Especially uh, somebody that doesn't know how to meet half of your needs. Mm-hmm. That, that exactly. really is the big expectation issue, huh? Because we would expect that our partner would know how to or would want to or would be willing to learn or would be just like us. Right. And yet they're a completely different person who was raised in a completely different family who may have different ideas about 
what people really need and how to meet those needs and who's supposed to do what for whom. And, you know, it's really a process where you need to be able to communicate and not in a victimized way of if you only had done this or you should have done that or why can't you just do this. Yeah. But, you know, to really from a place of being open and saying what you want and being vulnerable and letting them really see you so that there's a feeling of, oh, that's what this person needs. I really would like to try to do that for them. Um, you know, so that's a very different you know, I mean, we shouldn't be either entitled or victimized either right. one. Yeah, right. And there's something, too, it seems like about if, if my partner is always playing the victim, then it, I guess, in self-reflection, I, I notice that I just must be this horrible person. I mean, because I keep right. being framed as the villain if they're the victim. Right. So if you're the victim, your partner's the villain. Yeah. Um, if you, you know, if you feel like they're playing the victim game, you feel like you're the villain. And that just makes people angrier. You know, in a way, when you put that villain label on your partner, they sort of fulfill it. Right, exactly. <laughs> Not a good idea. Yeah, that's the last thing <laughs> you want to do want. is empower that. No, you don't want to empower that or, or put them in that role. And often in that, when we're doing that, we're projecting onto them. We're seeing them as somebody from our childhood who maybe didn't meet our needs or who was indifferent to our needs. And often we're not really even seeing them. So it's not a very fair thing to do to your partner. Right. And then, and then another, your final tool you suggest is that we avoid making the you statement. Uh, what right. do you mean by that? Like, like the, the accusation of like you, you do this. You do this, you do that. You're, when we interpret, well, like we know what the other person feels. You don't care about me anymore. Uh, you don't, you know, do what you used to do. You know, you're always distracted. You know, these sort of global statements that are all about what's wrong with our partner. Very much better to stick with talking about how you feel than telling them how they feel. Right. <laughs> Something that you're probably not as much of an expert on. <laughs> um, and they probably have some insight about. Um, but it's better to just really stick with this is how I feel and this is what I want. I also find that people have a lot easier time saying how they don't want their partner to act. I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to do that. And stop treating me like that. But it's much harder to say, no, what I want is I want you to treat me like this. Right. Yeah. No, I and talk that about that all the time. actually much more powerful than saying, you know, don't do this and don't do that. It's this is what I'd like. And, again, that makes your partner more likely to feel like doing it. Well, and two, they also now know what to do. Sometimes if we only state what they don't want, then I don't mm-hmm. necessarily know what you do want. Or if you if you right. tell me how I don't do it right, well, why don't you tell me how it would look like if it was done right? Right. And and when you keep saying, you know, you didn't don't do it right, you make the person feel demoralized and like they can't and they just might give up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not a good way to inspire your partner to want to meet your needs. But if you say, you know, I, I want more of your attention. Could we maybe, you know, go out tonight and not take our devices, you know? Or could we, you know, spend some time having fun this weekend and do something where we both enjoy so we're laughing together? I mean, not yes. too many partners are going to say no to that. No. Yeah, I don't want to laugh together. <laughs> yeah, no one's going to say <laughs> no. that. I, yeah. You don't have dinner with you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's really interesting. It, and it's it's not even just – you're not even just saying be positive. You're just saying – Talk talk about what you want from your frame of reference, not theirs. Don't make the accusation about them and then state what you want it to look like, basically. Right. And so you give them a chance of, of meeting that. If it's really important to you uh, to get to give 
presence. You know, often I find couples will do funny things like they'll show love the way that they want to be loved to their partner, which might have nothing to do with how their partner feels loved. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I have, I have a colleague that was a family therapist for many years, and he said it took 30 years for him and his wife to figure out this one thing. And she would give him a card on every occasion, um, you know, whether it was birthdays, Christmas, you know, Easter, you know, every holiday. And he hated getting these cards. He thought they were so annoying. <laughs> and so he'd spared her the annoyance by never buying her any of these cards. <laughs> Guess who wanted the cards? Exactly. It took them 30 years to figure out. And he was happy to buy the cards because yeah. she wanted them. Yeah, if that's what you but, want. And she was happy to stop buying them because he didn't want them once they figured it out. But you have to figure out how your partner experiences love. I mean, this comes up with Valentine's Day. People plan a Valentine's Day that is their, what they think would be the over-the-top for them. But it might not be at all what their partner wants. Exactly. Sending your, you know, you're sending your shy, introverted partner flowers in the middle of their office during the day might be humiliating to them, yep. not thrilling. Whereas for you, it might be thrilling. You know, it's it's really important to think about if you're trying to be loving toward your partner. What is it that they experience as love? Yeah. No, that's powerful. Well, and again, it seems like a no-brainer, but part of it is just, I guess, we got to get in. We got to get into the relationship and. And actually, I guess, start thinking about it more. That's why I really love uh, the work that you did here. Again, Dr. Lisa Firestone, thank you so much for being with us today on the show. And people, you can find out more about uh, Lisa's work and 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 um, all of her uh, resources if you go to the website psychalive.org, psychalive.org. Um, great uh, information more and more information that uh, will just guide you through your relationships. Good stuff, folks. We are going to take a break. And uh, on the other side of the break, visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. Uh, We're almost to the end zone, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies there at BYU Sports Nation, Spencer and Jerem. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. Are you guys there? Bueller. I know they're coming. They're coming. They're probably getting waxed up, getting their hair all done. Spencer and Jerem, are you there, gentlemen? Well, we will sit and wait while I. Uh, can you hear us? I can hear you now. You can hear us. Hello, we guys. We were here the whole time, man. Were you, monkey baby? Yeah. What were you doing, monkey <laughs> baby? Talking into the microphone frantically. Matthew, 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 can you hear us? We're here. We're yeah. here. Can you hear us? Yeah. <laughs> Help me. No, you guys. I'm glad you're here because I I have to ask you about something. Okay. Okay. So, did you see Bernie Sanders shooting hoops? No. Yes. <laughs> made like a four-footer. Come on. It's a four-footer, but he just looks like a cute little grandpa shooting hoops with his with his family. He's America's man. <laughs> He's the burn. The burnster. Yes, burn. By the way, um, he, they, he shot like five shots in a row, made I think mm-hmm. every one of them, and then the video kept rolling and they wouldn't pass him the ball again. They were like, keep away from Bernie. And then he started cursing at everybody. It was really weird. Yeah, he said it was huge, 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 huge. 
Y-U-G-E. Yeah, huge. huge. I've had an overload of Bernie Sanders, or at least making fun of him lately. Have you? I watched the Saturday Night Live uh, <laughs> skit of him yesterday. Yeah. The burn. <laughs> Which is so good. He's got he's he is loving it. People in New Hampshire, they ate him up. Sixty percent of the vote. I mean, I know you guys are big into politics, but he also plays ball. He's a baller. No. I watched him play. He's not a baller. <laughs> he is Barack, a baller. Barack can play. Yeah, Barack. Barry. Barry can play. You mean Barry, yeah. Yeah. Barry can play, but oh, Barry's geez. almost done. So we're trying to think we gotta get another baller in there. Basketball is America's sport. Totally. Well, it's football now, but yeah. Although hey, a Canadian did invent the sport in America. Yeah, just to be technical. Dr. James Nance. Hey, uh, we never talked about this, but I want your take on Cam Newton's um, sportsmanship moment. I'm kind of in the middle yeah. about all of what this. What do you think? What do you think? No, I think that there are two very uh, extreme sides where it's like, oh, he's a poor sport. How dare he be in a bad mood after losing the Super Bowl? I'll show some class. Be gracious and defeat. Who's who's like upset after they lose the biggest game of their life? Like, it's so weird. I mean, like, get over it. Okay, so there, there's that. And, and then there's the end that's like, he can do whatever he wants. He's Cam Newton. We support Cam. If he wants to be angry, fine. He can be a bad loser. We still love him. Show me a sore loser and I'll show you a loser. Yeah, that's what he said yesterday. <laughs> exactly. Which is a Vince Lombardi quote. I'm kind of in the middle where it's like, okay, I know you're disappointed, but at least try harder to answer some questions. Sure. You know, and a great radio analyst, Colin Coward, brought up a great point about Russell Wilson after he threw that terrible pick six. And, I mean, the Seahawks were going to win back-to-back Super Bowls. Ugh. He, he was mad. He was upset, yeah. but he still answered questions like a mature human being, like a professional. I mean, That's, he's not—he's not a twelve-year-old. And I don't expect Cam Newton to be Russell Wilson because Russell Wilson is, you know, a unique individual that way. But sure. just try harder to answer some more of more of the questions. Just try harder. What was more disappointing, Cam Newton having that little moment, or uh, Eli or uh, Peyton Manning pitching Budweiser? beer twice in the two big speeches by the way he they did not know he was going to do that oh he's looking for future endorsements he does own something in budweiser like they don't sponsor it but he owns some some stock budweiser stock or some but i mean that's weird right i mean right i mean it was strange i was like oh specific brand i thought it was funny yeah i laughed i laughed personality it's better than being the robotic like it was great to win with my teammates. I am so happy. We're looking what, forward to the next game. What would you say? What would you say, Matt, if you won the Super Bowl about your drink of choice, non-alcoholic preferably? I just say, can I get some water? Some <laughs> high quality H2O. <laughs> hey, listen, Jim, I'm going to drink a ton of Gatorade tonight. Uh, yeah, like Billy Blue Bob. Glacier Freeze yeah. brand. I want to point out that BYU is a Powerade school. But uh, I'm going to drink a ton of. P.A. Powerade tonight. <laughs> tonight. See, that's the deal is there's just something that they shouldn't be – they shouldn't – you would think the NFL wouldn't let them pitch in their interviews around the NFL. You think they're Find going him, to man. say anything to Peyton Manning? Find him, he's man. probably not going to play another game. He just won exactly. the Super Bowl. That's true. That's true. He even said he's going to Disneyland or whatever, right? And he had a shot of him by the Gatorade buckets. I mean, it's all it's all branding. 
Yeah, did did we did you see the moment? Did Dis, has Disney played the commercial? Peyton Manning, they you just won the to. Super Bowl. They Where cho- are you going? This year they decided they not to. They did not do they it. They just took a picture. Sh- yeah. They didn't show it. Peyton Manning was at the Super Bowl. Yeah. Typically that's for the MVP of the Super Bowl. So, <laughs> but it was Peyton Manning. But this he's year. the re- he's the real MVP. Did the you guys know that MVP. I got my first branding deal? What is oh, it? Oh, what yeah. is it? It's highlighter. It's the highlighter brand highlighter. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought you were talking about hair. No, no, no. Highlighter. It's just yellow. Okay. Again, I thought that's, you were talking about hair. This segment brought to you by Highlighter. Taze them. America's favorite highlighter in the world. Taze it. <laughs> the Tazeman. The, 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 the Taser, that's not even a – that's not like a brand thing because we're making that brand. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of – it's different. But That's probably compliance. Yeah, but if, if you guys do – if you need a highlighter – I've got one. They I can sent me one. Use a highlighter. Every eighteen-year-old uh, LDS missionary needs one. Everybody needs or one. Or eight. Hey, are you guys doing your show thing today? Yeah, we are. <laughs> we are doing that. What? Uh, what? What's going to be on the show today? Um, I don't know, Jeremy. What should we do on the show today? <laughs> we should discuss sports content. Okay. Namely, there you go. Chase Fisher of BYU men's basketball yes. injured his shoulder yesterday. Okay. Uh oh. He went to the doctor. We don't know what the update is. So we're going to discuss if he is less than one hundred percent. Which you don't go to a doctor if you're one hundred percent. Right. Typically. Uh, what does that mean for BYU hoops? Who specifically needs to step up? So we'll discuss that. David Nixon will join us, former BYU football player, BYU TV analyst, former NFL player as well. What, what's it like right now for BYU to make the transition into spring ball in just a couple of weeks? Yeah. Ooh. And what yep. does he think of some of the preseason rankings that have come out? These are uh, you know ratings and pow- football power indexes from ESPN and the like that have BYU between, like, 35 and 43. What does he think of that? Where does he put BYU? Jalen Reyes, men's volleyball assistant coach, will join us. They hit uh, the road to go back east and play. They're number three in the country right now. Wow. So we'll, we'll discuss those things. That's a lot in one show. Luckily, we have about 52 minutes of content today to fill. Do you, do you guys need, if you need a Taser promo, call me. Okay. We, oh, we know. Okay. Yeah. Because we've got one. Taze it. <laughs> Oh, we yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> Slow the flow and increase your glow with Taze It. Oh. Hey, listen, uh, I'm going to drink a ton of Dr. Pepper, <laughs> caffeine free, of course, tonight. Kiss my wife, free? kiss my kids. <laughs> my kids. Thank you, Mr. Manning. And then I'm going to Disneyland, Jim. And I'm going to buy me some insurance from Heartfield Insurance. <laughs> I mean, they, it's crazy. I didn't want to I just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> You're great. Hey, guys, I'm have a great show. Passing for almost nothing. <laughs> Hardly making a yard in passing. Because my defense is elite. <laughs> I just lost the MVP. <laughs> okay. Anyway. All great, right. great job, guys. Uh, Thanks, have a great sir. show. Jam-packed as always, and I'll try not to ruin your the segue into your show so you can take off without problems. Thank you. Top of the morning to you. Hasta la pasta. That's cool. You know what I love about those guys? Again, they're not afraid to break into song. Many sports shows, sports anchors, won't break into song and ditties like these guys do. You should try and break into song. Yeah. I've tried. And um, it goes something like this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Lay down the beat. I'm feeling it. This is my favorite part right here. Can you feel him unleashing it? 
Yeehaw! This is as good as it gets, folks. Okay. Did you really think I was going to break into song? I, I was hoping for it. No way. You think I'm crazy? But that music was the perfect segue to our next story. Don't keep an alligator in your basement. Period. Here's why. Police removed a six-foot alligator that had reportedly been living in a Chicago man's basement for 26 years. Charles Price's neighbors were unaware that he had been keeping the alligator in a cage as a pet. Here, gator, 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 gator. Although he periodically did let it out into his backyard. Mom, I swear I heard a gator in Mr. Price's yard. Aw, Timmy, Mr. Price doesn't have a gator. (laughs) An appliance repairman discovered the alligator after hearing sounds that led him to its cage. He then took pictures of the reptile and then alerted police to its presence. It was every bit of 200 pounds, Illinois Department of Natural Resources Sergeant Bill Shannon told the Chicago Trib. Alligators can be legally owned with a permit, but Price admitted to purchasing the reptile illegally when it was just a mere baby at the swap meet. Price will go to court on misdemeanor charges of unlawful possession of an endangered endangered species. That's crazy. This is like a custody battle. Oh, yeah. This is like, it's tragic. He's going to lose the gator. After 26 years. Think of of everything they've, it's like, it's almost like forced divorce. It is. It's like a forced divorce. Except it's going to be great for a barbecue. You ever had gator meat? Ah, it's very good. It's the other white meat. Oh, yeah? I don't know. I've had gator. I've had it. It's good. I can't remember if it's white. Yeah, it's whitish. It's good. Mm. Finger looking good. Licking and good. you can make some nice boots out of it afterwards. Oh, yeah. You're so anti-animal. Hey, we always like to end the show, though, on a hero story. And our hero is an anonymous man from Graham, North Carolina. Listen to this story. Firefighters arrived at a burning home around 4.30 a.m., only to find that everyone had already been rescued from the house. The first responders were told that the man who lived inside had woken up to smoke and flames coming from the living room. He was able to break through the glass of his bedroom window, pull out his wife and his child, and then run back to the house to do the same thing for his other two kids. Fire Captain Mike Melvin called the man very heroic, saying that dads go to any extent to save their children. Melvin said he not only saved himself, but he saved his wife and his children. He's definitely a hero. The man suffered deep cuts to his arms from breaking the windows, resulting in serious blood loss. The man was taken to the hospital with his wife, who suffered smoke inhalation. But he did save the entire family. So he's the hero of the day. Pretty cool guy. Uh, Anonymous, though. But what dad wouldn't step up and, and do that, right? The deal is this guy did it. So you don't have to you know, risk life and limb to, to be able to be a hero. There's, just, there's a need for heroes all around the world, all around the country. And you, my friends, are probably already playing the role. Just step up, watch each other's backs, and uh, be there for the people that need you. That's why we do the show, to help you find the good in the world. And again, if you missed any of it, you can go to iTunes, you can go to TuneIn, you can go find the BYU Radio app, and you can download any of our podcasts. We have hundreds of them by any topic you need, but pass them on to your friends. Share the joy. 
And uh, tomorrow we'll be back again. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer and love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Until tomorrow, watch each other's backs. We'll talk again tomorrow.